0: Hello, it is 19th of November, 2016, and this is episode 7 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. Today, we're very excited to welcome a special guest, Natasha.
2: Hello, everyone. Hi, Natasha. Hello. Hi, Natasha. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is exciting. Um, Natasha is obviously our first ever guest. And yeah, it's just awesome to have her on the show and to get another voice in because you're probably fed up from just hearing me you at this stage. Um, so it's nice to have a few more people in the mix. Yeah, so Natasha, do you want to like explain a bit about yourself and like how you got engaged with Star Wars and Star Wars fandom in particular?
2: Sure, yeah. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love you guys' welcome. podcast. So um, <laughs> I've been... Part of the fandom online um, since February. I've been writing about The Force Awakens. I've written a couple of larger essays about Ray's role in the story from the lens of uh, young adult fiction and also um, Jungian archetypes, all those sorts of things. Um, this has since kind of developed into me writing about the future of the sequel trilogy and how I feel that they're really setting us up for a romantic subplot. Um, particularly between Rey and Kylo Ren, which is not the most loved subject on the internet, so it's also been a couple of uh, months of just dealing with the fan reactions to this theory and um, writing about it, and I recently embarrassed myself by posting on Reddit that Rey and Kylo Ren will not be Twilight, (laughs) uh, which apparently upset some people, but also um, a lot of people responded very positive to lead to the the fact that um, we need to be able to discuss this as part of the Star Wars community um, without being derided as being you know not Star Wars. So mm. that's my story.
1: Yeah, I don't think you should be embarrassed with that post. I think it was great and very much needed. Oh, thank you.
0: Yeah, no, it was a really really killer post, and it was the kind of kick up the bum that communities like Reddit needed to be honest. <laughs> yeah, because there just has been so much stupidity and small-mindedness in the debate about Star Wars and The Force Awakens in particular especially in relation to Rey and Mm Kylo so yeah just thank you for doing that post because you've always what many people were thinking and I think you found that in the responses you got
2: yeah, absolutely. There had been it had been brought up before on the subreddit, but um the Star Wars sp- sp- speculation subreddit. Um, but it had always been met with a lot of um mockery, basically. Yeah. So
1: Yeah, we, we touched upon that in last week's episode a bit, but hopefully we'll get more into it today. I know we all still have lots to say about it.
0: Yeah, no, today our spotlight is going to be about shipping as a phenomenon and a phenom- phenomenon in Star Wars <laughs> in particular. So, um, yeah, we're really going to be able to get our teeth into that. <laughs> um, there's a few other areas of business we should mention before we go into the news segment. The first and the most exciting is that we are now on iTunes and SoundCloud. So that essentially means you no longer have to watch a two-hour video with one <laughs> image on YouTube in order to enjoy our beautiful voices. Uh, so, yes, we will re- include links to iTunes and SoundCloud in the notes so you can find us there. And also, we are going to be asking for questions to be sent to scavengershorde at gmail.com. So if you have anything you want to ask us, please send it there rather than to our various Tumblr ask boxes, because that will help to keep things nice and concentrated and easy for us to follow, because... On Tumblr things get a bit crazy, so it's nice to have one inbox. <laughs> um, it, and just generally, guys, how have your weeks in Star Wars been? Has like, anything particularly notable happened? Or is this like the highlight of one Star Wars week?
1: <laughs> uh, I started reading Catalyst. Ooh! What's yeah. Like? I, well, I, I told you a couple of days ago, Rachel, that I wasn't going to read it. I guess, <laughs> but at least until after I'd seen Rogue One, because yeah. I kind of wanted to have the as close to the general audience's impression of the film to see it would if it would really stand on its own Mm. as I could um but then I thought to myself who am I kidding I'm not I'm not part of the general audience anymore I have a Star Wars (laughs) podcast so I decided (laughs) to start reading and I'm I'm a few chapters in and I'm really enjoying it so far so
0: hopefully we can talk about
1: that in
2: in more depth at a later date
0: yeah no definitely I I certainly want to read it are you interested in the books at all Natasha?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely going to read this one. It's I. It usually takes me a few weeks to get in into doing it, but I'm interested in the relationship that they've been talking about with uh, Lyra, or so. So mm. Ray's it's not Ray's mom. Sorry, <laughs> Jin's mom. series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Because um, yeah, they had, they had dropped the spoilers before the book was released in regards to someone being force sensitive. And I don't. Do we ever get a confirmation on who that was? Besides. Um,
0: um, I think it's implied that oh, minor catalyst spoilers. Um, <laughs> oh, do you mind minor catalyst spoilers, Kirsty?
1: <laughs> no, uh, I I think I know who it is anyway. So okay, yeah, <laughs> I think
0: it's implied that Lyra is like in touch with the Force, like, but yeah. she might not be Force sensitive in the way that a Jedi is Force sensitive. She's mm-hmm. more like a follower of like the Jedi as a religion. Like, I think I've heard her described as, like, a Jedi groupie, <laughs> which I think is a great description. <laughs> sort uh, of like the
2: Church of the Force with Laura Santeca, basically. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. She'd be, like, chilling with them if she had a choice. But I think her life took a different path, so mm-hmm. to speak. I'm, I'm really lazy when it comes to the books. I, I do want to read it. It definitely seems like one of the more interesting new canon books to me, and it really seems like it has fascinating things to say about the background to these characters in Rogue One Mm -hmm. so I would definitely like to check it out it's just being realistic I'm not sure I will have the time but I will try because yeah I I want to have a nice meaty discussion about it and otherwise it's just going to be saying oh yeah that's really interesting Kirsty please tell me more (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so that's pretty much the state of being on Catalyst Um, is there anything else we want to say or should we move into news
1: Mm, I'm moving to news.
0: Right, then the latest news story is that Emilia Clarke has been cast as the female lead in the Han Solo movie. And there's a statement on StarWars.com to this effect. And it reads, StarWars.com is excited to announce that Clarke, known for her stirring portrayal of Daenerys Targaryen and HBO's Game of Thrones, will join the upcoming, untitled Han Solo Star Wars movie. Clock's role will round out a dynamic cast of characters that Han and Chewie will encounter on their adventures. Announce the site. And then in the various trade magazines, I think Variety and Hollywood Reporter, they also gave names for other actresses who auditioned. And we have Tessa Thompson, Zoe Kravitz, Naomi Scott, and even Jessica Henwick, which is quite interesting because Jessica was already in Star Wars Force Awakens as Jess Parver. But I suppose her part in The Force Awakens was so small that it really doesn't make any difference if she's in the Han Solo movie because only super nerds are going to know she was in both.
1: And she was considered quite seriously for the role of Rey as well, wasn't she? She Yeah,
0: she was. I remember hearing that. Um, So yeah, what what did you make of this, Kirsty? What were your thoughts?
1: So I have mixed feelings about this because, you know, I've I've watched Game of Thrones, I I haven't watched the latest season and I think she's fine in that. I don't I don't think it's an excellent performance, but it's fine, but i I was really excited for this role to be for a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, all the other names that had been attached to it, they hadn't said anything about Amelia Clark, as far as I'm aware beforehand. No: um all of the other women I'd heard being associated with the role were women of color. Yeah, so i I don't know. I just had that in my mind as where they were going to go, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she'll be fine in the role. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, but I don't know.
0: How about you, Natasha? Have you seen Amelia Clark in Game of Thrones or anything else?
2: Oh yeah, I'm a huge um, Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire fan, so um, I've been watching her, and she's she's a talented actress. Uh, she gets a lot of hate for Game of Thrones because her character is kind of um, yeah, it's a little bit over the top. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with Kirsty in terms of being kind of upset. Uh, in terms, I, I would like to see Tessa Thompson in that mm-hmm. movie and because she's a real she has a a really rising star right now she's going to be in thor ragnarok she's in Mm. westworld currently she was she did a great job in creed um she's a really talented actress and i was hoping that she would be like the female lead um since so if you know if this is handed over to Amelia clark kind of it is kind of a disappointment Mm,
0: yeah no that, that was kind of my feeling i've never known a film franchise to have a type for its female leads like star wars before so yeah. if you think about it, Carrie Fisher, Natalie Portman, Daisy Ridley, Felicity Jones, and now Amelia Clarke, all white br- brunettes, all mm. of them. And the last three, they've all been British too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Like, I, I'm a white British brunette girl, and I think this is way too much. Yes. <laughs> I really think they need to step it back. Yeah. It, yeah. It, like, I'm sure Amelia will do fine. Like I, I don't think she's a fantastic actress. I, I think she's just okay. Yeah. Um. But that's probably because her part in Game of Thrones. It doesn't. It's not the most demanding role in that series, and I think she does fine with it. She's just not spectacular or remarkable, in my opinion. And I know that people haven't had the highest opinions of her performances and other things like Terminator Genisys. Or however yeah. you went to pronounce that title, it's just hideous. Um, uh, so yeah, like I, I hope she does a good job, and like Lord and Miller who are directing it, they always seem to do good stuff. So oh, hopefully yeah. they'll bring the best out of all the actors. And yeah, I, I am really disappointed. So I found the other actresses they were auditioning much more exciting, and I, I've seen Tessa Thompson on Westworld as well, and I, I like her there. Her, her character is a bit difficult to <laughs> relate to shall we say <laughs> over the top uh, but, yes over the top yeah to put it mildly um but she herself performing that role she's really good um so yeah i would have preferred to have seen someone like that but i guess we have what we have and i i would never want anyone to do badly so i i just hope good comes of it
1: yeah um, i'm i'm now curious to hear more about the role because we'd been speculating that it could have been sanasteros from mm-hmm. the comics but that can't be the case now unless they're going to whitewash the character that'd be Um, awful yeah i've seen people say they still hope that that's that's going to be the role and i'm I'm thinking no no they they can't do that now (laughs) Um, that's a
0: rabbit hole they do not want to dive down
1: yeah, yeah so i wonder when we'll hear more about that
0: yeah, like I'd imagine probably through spoilers first, I don't see them officially releasing any more information. Although then again they might do a presentation at celebration next year where you find out more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's true. So we will say. Um right, have we got anything else to say on Amelia Clark being cast? No. <laughs> Sorry, Amelia. <laughs> I I'm
1: try I'm trying to have an open mind. Yeah. Um it's just reading this last night, I was like, uh eh. Yeah, you know. Nothing yeah. against her. I really hope that she doesn't receive any negative feedback herself personally as, as a result of this. Because mm. it's not her fault that, you know, that other yeah. people were being considered and she's the only white name attached to it. I think it just looks bad for Lucasfilm.
0: Yeah, it, it does look bad. I, I'm you... not sure they ever officially. I No, they wouldn't ever officially release names who were auditioning for the part. But uh-huh. they were clearly auditioning, like Tessa Thompson and Zoe Kravitz at quite a high level. For the trades to report on that in the first place, because they reported on those names like a month or so ago, yeah, so they clearly got quite far at the process, and yeah, like you say it, it looks bad if you've got like what appears to be a short list of free women of color, and then out of nowhere it's like, nope, what generic white girl ha <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it, if, if they keep casting white brunettes with British accents, I just don't even like it it's turning into a bit of a joke. Really not is. not to say that these individual women can't carry the roles or do you know put on a great performance. That's not the issue. It's not about them as individuals. It's that we need more diversity.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and beyond that, we will see so many speculations around them being related because they all look the same.
1: Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> because we already have Jin as Ray's mum theory. Yeah. So now we're gonna have maybe Amelia Clark. <laughs> and her role had a secret affair with Han Solo and somehow that resulted in Ray. Oh yeah. I'm sure we'll see that.
0: I I prefer that there's a cloning facility uh, <laughs> just producing these women and that they're all like just the same woman with minor facial modifications. <laughs> like there's very Star Wars, it's very sci fi. It- it's like I I've seen someone who insists that Ray is the child of. <laughs> um She is the child who is born to Jin Erso via artificial insemination of Darth Vader's sperm. Oh, God. that is a genuine thing I have seen, and it's quite terrifying. This
1: is a movie so... for children. <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine Luke explaining that? Ray, <laughs> you are my sister.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, it's better than Ray. You're my father, but
0: you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, if if I'm if, um, like Luke, did say either of those things, it would be the perfect opportunity for Ray to go. No, no, that's not true. That's impossible.
2: She just quits and just gets on the Millennium Falcon and flies away.
0: <laughs> Credits roll. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I would love that. Right? Are we ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. Then the next story we have is about Episode 9, and this is essentially a press release from Kodak, who are undoubtedly the most excited people in the entire world about this piece of news, and it reads as follows. Today, Kodak announced that in their processing facility in the UK, they've added the capabilities to handle 65mm film, and one of the projects listed to use Kodak's 65mm stock is Star Wars Episode 9. John Schwartzman will be re-teaming with director Colin Trevorrow following Jurassic World to lens the project, and for both it will be a return to 65mm, which they partially used on the dinosaur blockbuster Jurassic World, though it sounds like Episode Nine will fully utilise the format. So, who else is excited?
1: I am. (laughs) I am excited about this.
0: Yay, that's so good! I've read, like, I've seen various outlets discussing this, and they're like, meh, I don't care. And it's like... But in terms of picture quality, this is like the next evolutionary step. This is really exciting.
2: Yeah. Well, too, I, I we have a 70mm theater here in Portland. And hatefully, I saw it on the, that format. And I can mm-hmm. tell you that, yeah, nothing really compares to like the wide shot. It's really, really, really awesome in film.
0: Yeah. I so say it isn't 65mm, it's like super widescreen. So it's super extended.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the oh, the other yes. film I was thinking of
1: that was out a few years ago was Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Did he mm-hmm. see that? That was yes. stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I
0: I don't think I've ever seen like a seventy millimeter projection. But I had did see The Force Awakens um in IMAX, like in two in D, um and at, mm-hmm. at the Science Museum in London and that was spectacular. It just looked so good. I think it's the only place in the UK where you could see The Force Awakens and IMAX without the 3D, and I'm yeah. so, so happy I did because I don't like 3D. I wear glasses, and so obviously you have to wear glasses on top of glasses, and <laughs> just the effect never quite works for me. Um, so yeah, seeing that like pristine, beautiful image on this enormous screen was just incredible. It looked so good, and like any future Star Wars film that comes out I fully intend to watch it in that way again because I think I saw Force Awakens eight times (laughs) in the cinema. It became quite bad. Um, And that showing was by far the best. I think it was also my final showing and I was like, right, that's it. No more because that is the (laughs) perfect, perfect way to end seeing this film. So, yeah, I'm excited and it's nice to see them having this kind of ambition like from the outset like in terms of the literal material that the film is going to be imprinted on when they're mm-hmm. producing it. So i like to see that. And yeah, Colin Trevorrow clearly has big ideas. I think he's the guy who said, we're going to film part of episode nine in space. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Awesome dude. I like him already.
1: Yeah. yeah it's it's good to have just a, a little piece of news for episode nine. Cause you know, we can't really think that far ahead now in terms of the story or, we're not going to get any spoilers about anything, obviously. But it's nice to just have something to talk about and go, oh, yes, we have episode eight. And then we have episode nine to look forward to even after that. So
0: Exactly. What are we going to do Like when episode nine's been gone, though? We're going to be like, so bereft.
1: So we're like, oh, no. I suppose it depends on when they would announce a new trilogy, if, if that's what they're <laughs> planning to do. Yeah. yeah. Just infinite Star Wars films now.
2: Well, You know, they're going to try to fill that 30 year gap in between. So yeah. they're going to have lots of stuff around that.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I kind of wonder if they're going to do a TV show about that, actually. So I'm not sure they'll do a like a prequel trilogy again, probably because they're all still mentally scarred from how the George Lucas prequel trilogy was received. Um, yeah. But I definitely see them fill in that gap in big ways because everyone wants to know about what happened there. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, what, what went down with Luke's Academy? What was Luke doing? And we're meant to be asking these questions. Um, It's just a question of whether we're going to see them on film or not. Right, are we ready to move on to Episode 8 Spoiler News? Yes. Okay, exciting. Um, right, to anyone listening, this whole segment is going to be spoilerific for Episode 8. So please do not hold us accountable if you keep on listening and you do not want to hear spoilers. Um, all, they are quite mild. They're mainly about costumes, but they are still spoilery and They have plot implications to an extent. So consider yourself fully warned. Right, this comes from Making Star Wars, and the descriptions go as follows. So the first one is, Benicio del Toro has been described as a classic man in black, as in he wears all black and he's dangerous. His character is clean-shaven, with hair not unlike that of Poe Dameron's in length. While the rap lets us know he was up for the role of the bad guy in the film some time ago, it doesn't appear the heroes see del Toro as a bad guy, at least not at first. We think he's connected to the casino set we talked about some time ago. On paper, it sounds a little close to Lando Calrissian in *The Empire Strikes Back*. But before you panic, there are some details we're still working on that make that appear a bit of a stretch. Right. Then the next one is Laura Dern's character, and it says Laura Dern is probably the most bombastic of the new characters from the rumors we've heard. She is very aristocratic and fancy in a way we haven't really seen in stars before. Her look is unique. The biggest defining detail of this character is that she has pink hair. <laughs> Sources are at a loss for words when they try to describe her hair, which is very ornate, almost like something out of the Outlander Club in Attack of the Clones. In the near future, we will have details to share on a jumpsuit of Kelly Marie Tran and her role in the film and how she ends up tangled up with Finn in their shared story. Her look is almost the opposite of Dern's character. She's just very normal looking, but her situation is supposedly really cool. We'll have more on Finn and Kelly Marie Tran in the near future that we can share. Right. So, Natasha, what did you think about these little tidbits?
2: I think that's excellent. Uh, I like the idea that we've been hearing a lot about uh, Laura Dern's role as a. in the resistance, I believe mm-hmm. they thought she was going to be, um, yeah. kind of as a foil to Leia and Poe. That's right. Um, yeah. But I think based on this description, it sounds like she's going to be more um, kind of in line with what Benicio del Toro is, you know, representing more of a aristocratic ruling class, it sounds like. I don't know quite for sure. I just can't imagine pink hair and, uh, you know, resistance general, but maybe it's, the you know, maybe it works.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that was what I thought, really. Because obviously in these early rumors we had about Laura Dunn, she just seemed like a political rival to layer in the Resistance. Mm-hmm. And since the Resistance isn't like a hotbed of intergalactic fashion, from what we've seen, they, they all look pretty like, basic, shall mm-hmm. we say. Um, I was very surprised by this, because I think like the description says this seems very reminiscent of the prequels, which are very excessive and flamboyant in their costuming. Yeah. And yeah, from that description, and also the way that in the article they compare Laura Dunn's character to the extras that were seen on the Dubrovnik set when they were filming there around springtime. And all those extras were very ostentatiously dressed, like in finely tailored clothes and so on and so forth. So all of that combined, it makes me wonder if she's more like a senator or something. So maybe someone from the destroyed political class of and Prime, which was blown up, who's come over to the Resistance because she's no other power base left and so almost feeling entitled to that she tries to like find her way in like even though she's completely outside of that power structure like she was formerly very influential and then she tries to work her way in like what did you think about Dunn's character Kirsty
1: that's what I was thinking as well that it could be someone from the New Republic who's Mm completely out of her depth in terms of military tactics and that sort of thing and it comes in thinking that she's going to rule the roost and then butts heads with either Leia or Poe or both so yeah. that that could be quite funny yeah yeah
0: i could see that like just the concept of laura dern with pink hair it, it's always like does not compute it like frazzles my brain a bit yeah um but in a good way like i want my brain to be frazzled by this movie like force awakens it was criticized a lot for being for stepping the line too much in terms of sticking to the visual style of the original trilogy, so it's exciting to me that we're having these like more crazy elements in Ryan's film, which are what I expected and hoped for when everyone was saying, "Oh, this is so different. He's really going in a new direction with this." Like that's really exciting to
2: me. Same, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited to see Kelly Marie Tran news too, and it just even if it's just a little bit, because it sounds like. We're going to get more, you know, as it goes on.
0: Yeah, these... Obviously, it's so hopelessly vague. It's difficult to read too much into it. But I did like the whole her situation is supposedly really cool thing. Because that does suggest that she has an interesting background or comes from an interesting place herself. So it's not like she's just a regular Joe on the street who gets swept up into it. It sounds like she comes from somewhere or has a kind of backstory that we're actually going to be informed about. Um, So yeah, I'm really intrigued by that and especially by the prospect of getting more information soon which is what making Star Wars are promising so fingers crossed that'll be mean before christmas because ugh, we don't want rogue one to hold up the episode eight spoilers for too long come on <laughs> yeah.
1: i think it won't be until after rogue one that we get something really meaty
0: mm-hmm. oh about kenny Retran. tran
1: yeah because yeah they because they know that People are more interested in this stuff than this, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, so they do. They want to keep the interest on the film that's actually about to come out.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me actually because I have the impression that making stars, they really haven't got much about Rogue One. Like I haven't seen any like major, major Rogue One spoilers from them at all, like ever. Mm-mm. And yeah, that's really quite striking to me. It, it perhaps suggests that the kind of people that Jason would be talking to. They're either not involved in that production, or they just don't find it interesting enough to find out information about what's happening with the plot.
1: Mm. Yeah, they they had a lot of character details early on, but it was also stuff that was going to come out anyway. Yeah, in terms of promotion. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... there's been no
0: like plot spoiling information from them at all about Rogue One.
1: Yeah, it's nowhere on the level of what they got for the Force Awakens
0: yeah which is basically all full sheets (laughs) like whoops (laughs) uh yeah um so what do we think about del toro um because i found this particularly interesting he's the character who's been a complete blank slate since he was cast in terms of spoilers Mm -hmm. we've had absolutely nothing on him
1: didn't he let slip in an interview somewhere that he was playing a villain yes he did
0: yeah he did (laughs) he's He's a bit like the Mads Mickelson of episode eight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope he has more interviews in the future where he spoils even more. But um, I mean, he when he was cast, I was like, oh, he's probably going to be a villain because he does that kind of stuff really well. But um, when he's described as a classic man in black, it made me think of JJ talking about um, The Force Awakens when he was talking about what you expect to see in westerns. Mm. Um, and he, he said the man in black, the bad guy. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of has that feel again. And I know a lot of people were disappointed in Kylo Ren as a bad guy <laughs> because he's not really supposed to be. He's, yeah. he's more of an anti-villain. Um, so maybe Del Toro's character kind of fills that role a bit more.
0: That was actually what I was thinking, um, because in in the pre-show we were laughing about some Facebook comments we'd seen on fa- like on posts about Adam Driver's birthday. They'd been posted on the official st- Facebook pages. Um and it was basically people saying things like, Oh, he's such a weak villain, I wish we had a new maul instead. Like, Oh he just cries and he's all like emotional and stuff. Ugh. And yeah, when I read stuff like that, I just like I really think that if Kylo is not going to be the big villain of this trilogy, which I don't think he is, then they need to get a move on and make that clear to Joe public so that they stop expecting him to be just this badass maulesque character with absolutely no depth and no ca- character basis at all because that clearly isn't what the character is but that's just not filtering through to people people just want him to be this one dimensional badass so i think they if they are going to phase out kylo as the villain then there's going to be a void to fill and del toro could easily fill that void like the boy has a very villainous presence just by default like looking at him you're like oh <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, he's he's very much a character actor in that way like they yes. always cast him in these kind of uh, morally uh dark kind of roles but the thing that I find interesting is that um I think we're going towards a more nuanced understanding of how the galaxy's going to deal with uh the destruction of the Hosnian system and yeah. the rise of the First Order so he could I mean just like they established in Bloodline in terms of the centrists um he could represent somebody that's trying to broker um kind of any kind of relation to keep peace or mm. stop from being destroyed. Yeah, might, I whatever. I
1: hope he is more interesting than a Darth Maul type. Yeah. And he he's got the talent to be more than that. So but like you say, he could be someone who's not intentionally trying to do bad things, not being evil for the sake of it, but still feels more like a villain than Kylo Ran.
0: Yeah, like I, I, I definitely don't want another Darth Maul. Um to be brutally honest, I don't particularly like that character. Just because that character to me is ultimate embodiment of style of substance that is a character of like a cool makeup job who there's nothing to him obviously i know in the clone wars and in the expanded material they go into much much greater depth as to what that character like is driven by and where he came from but if you look at him as a standalone character in the phantom menace with no other material about him which is what the vast majority of people do because they don't watch the clone wars and they don't read the expanded material then there's almost nothing to him. He is just a guy with cool fight moves and cool makeup. So, yeah, I definitely want to see more than that in the big villains of this sequel trilogy. But like you said, I definitely think there's room to have a more straightforwardly evil character um, than Kylo. Um, What do we think about the comparisons to Lando and how Jason seems to suggest that they're going to subvert that?
1: Hmm. I don't feel comfortable even thinking of Lando in that way, that he's a bad guy at all. Mm. Like, he's someone who's kind of forced into an unfortunate situation where he has to betray his friends, but he clearly doesn't want to do it.
0: Mm. I kind of wonder if they're going to subvert that by making you think it might be a similar situation with Dal character, so that he seems sincere, he seems to genuinely be behind Finn and the Resistance and everyone. But then when it comes to betraying them... That are no qualms. He doesn't like feel regret or like actually any real attachment or investment in these people. Like he is like more straightforwardly driven by selfish reasons than say Lando is. Because Lando, like in Empire Strikes Back, he is not just his own self interest that causes him to hand Han and Leia over to Darth Vader. It's also because he's out to protect like this community he's built built up. Yeah. So I think there's room to show a character who isn't so sympathetic if that makes sense
2: yeah yeah and i think if you i've I've read the lando comics and i feel like they kind of provide a context for his character a little bit better um on the level of him being a leader you know in bespin and um him um being very morally gray like he has a relationship with an imperial uh in the comics like the kind of like area head basically so Mm. it's just about playing the game so you have like a morally neutral character that um Is only looking to kind of advance his own agenda for his own needs, so that selfishness will probably take a lot of the um, what we consider evil um, in Del Toro's character. So,
0: yeah, I definitely think Del Toro can play evil well. Sorry, there is something really mean about
1: Benicio Del Toro.
0: (laughs) He's like, "Oh, you look so evil." (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a compliment. I mean, it's a compliment. He's
1: he's really good in those types of roles.
0: Mm. Have you guys seen him in much? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, all sorts of things.
0: Mm, I, I'm actually struggling to think of films I've seen Benicio del Toro in. It's really bad. I I, I like no films that he's been in like Sicario, and I know like mm. they're meant to be really good. I just haven't got around to seeing them. He's kind of like a bit of a blind spot for me.
2: I just think of the usual usual suspects. Like that was like the first time he kind of played a, a gangster villain kind of role, but he did a really great job subverting the typical uh, elements of it. But yeah, he usually he usually kind of plays those um those darker roles. I think his best role is, is, is right now in Marvel. He is the, you know, eccentric, weird uh, kind of keeper of the lore. And...
0: Oh, yeah. No, I have seen him in that. Mm. Of course I have. So I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. I forgot yep. he was in that film. That's really bad. <laughs> um, how about you, Kirstie? Have you seen him in anything?
1: Uh, yeah, that, that's the one I was thinking of most recently. Um, and mm. then things like 21 Grams. So yeah. He's, yeah he's he's a fantastic actor and I, I find him very good looking as well <laughs> just to be totally superficial <laughs>
0: there's no harm in being superficial it's okay <laughs> um, right have we said all we want to say about those spoilers mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: okay cool awesome then we'll move on to Rogue One News and the first thing we have is an IMAX poster Have has everyone seen this IMAX poster
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty cool.
0: Mm -hmm. How about you, Natasha?
2: Yeah, I love the X-Wings going down. It's very pretty.
0: Yeah. I I like this one. It feels more cohesive than most of the posters have. Um, It's still not a magnificent piece of art that I would hang on my wall. But as far as Rogue One posters go, it's probably my second favourite after the main theatrical one. So the one where it's a big gin face with the plans projected on half a face. So I really like that one. That's my favourite of all the posters. And then this one's good because it like avoids that awkward problem of where do the bodies go by having yeah. them all like funneled into this <laughs> like um, star destroyer formation, um, which is good.
1: Is that is that Galen in the background?
0: Yeah, it's like looking a bit emo.
1: He's so. Blurry, so far away, I can't even see him. I, I thought it might be him, but I wasn't actually sure.
0: He's almost like so tangential to the design that is like, why bother? Why put him there?
1: <laughs> we haven't seen him in a poster before, right? No, exactly. Yeah. He doesn't
0: leave much of an impression here, to be honest. No. Um, he just looks like dishevelled space hobo. Look. <laughs> so maybe him or like Luke will be hanging out. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, and they give um. Is it Baze Um. Like they give make him seem really super prominent, which I've never seen before. Like it's, it's him, Chirrut and Jin. They're like the main three in the poster, and I'm not sure that's an accurate representation of importance. Um. Maybe it's because those guys are like big stars in the Asian market. Obviously, I know Donnie Yen's huge. Have we said all we want to say about this beautiful poster? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, right. Then we have two Japanese TV spots. One for Cassian and one for Jin. What did we think? Did we think they told us anything new about these characters? Like, did you watch them, Natasha?
2: Yeah, I did. I I got the impression. I really like the one for Cassian. Mm. He intrigues me as a character because I feel like he has a lot of um, depth to him already just from the trailers. Uh, I like that he's... Uh, you know, got his sidekick K2SO, which I am a huge fan of. Um, but yeah, the one with Jin was a little bit different because from the early stuff that we've seen of her, she's a little bit more, you know, what's the word? Kind of like gruff, I guess. You know, I think everybody was kind of expecting her to be a little bit more of a have more of a hard line and kind of be. But right now, it looks like they're marketing her more as being the kind of the leader and the get everybody together. Yeah, use the force. You know
0: yeah there's definitely been a shift in how they've been representing Jin which is kind of worrying it does stink of reshootitis to Mm -hmm. me as far as I'm concerned Um, but yeah I'm, I'm hoping that she still retains that like cynicism and like world weariness that we see more in those early materials because it'd be a shame for her to just become like an inspirational leader like there's nothing wrong with being an inspirational leader but that being that in itself it doesn't leave much room for character growth and like to have a complex person exactly and um, what did you think about the tv spots Kirsty?
1: oh i thought they were cool i mean i don't speak japanese so i probably didn't get as much out of them as some people yeah um the, the thing i'm concerned about with Jin, as you guys were talking about the inconsistent characterization that seems to be coming across mm-hmm. there's something about like she's new to the rebellion it seems like she's being yeah. called in yeah. and then these other characters seem to be already part of it in some way like they're all coming from different factions mm. but um i just wonder how they're gonna have her leading the story is it enough that it's just because it's her father who's to do with, he's related to building the death star mm. or like what what is it about her that inspires the others to take the action and band together mm. um I'm just a little concerned that they might have kind of these white saviour undertones. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it might sound silly, I, and it might be completely unfounded because I haven't watched the movie. Um, but that's just something that I've been getting from some of the promotional material. What do mm-hmm. you guys think? Am I just being silly?
0: It is a bit worrying. It goes back to this whole Snow White syndrome that we've seen before, like we've having this central woman like surrounded by a bunch of other people. And like you say, obviously because people surrounding Jin in this movie they're all men of colour Right. then like you say that can't help but have like implications in terms of like real world precedent and like what message is that conveying in terms of the racial dynamics and I, I strongly doubt this even entered their minds but I, like I, I would like it to think it did in some some way so that they could take that into account and make sure like you say they didn't fall into that hole white saviour trope because, yeah, that has the potential to be quite icky if handled badly
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we just have to see but it's just something that's been on my mind seeing these things come out
0: Yeah Um, Have we said everything we want to say about the TV spots? Yes, I think so Okay, cool Then we can move on to the final news story which is that there has been a Rogue One featurette Uh, I'm guessing we've watched this again, guys Yes. Yes. Cool. And what were your thoughts, Kirsty?
1: Oh, I I find Gareth Edwards so endearing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah. Did, li- did you notice though how they, the shots of Gareth Edwards in this featurette, they're clearly filmed at different times. Yeah, I had. Noticed I would that. bet. I would bet money on some of them being filmed during the reshoots because poor guy, he's put on lots of weight and he literally has dark bags under his eyes. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, no, he, he looks pretty rough. I felt sorry for him. Oh no, uh, because he's obviously there doing the PR spiel for the film, but you can tell this is like a tired man who's been worked hard. Um, to put it mildly. Oh no. Yeah, <sighs> I, just, I know.
1: <laughs> I just, I really hope this film is great and all of our fears are, you know, put to rest and it's all yeah. good. But poor Gareth Edwards, if that's the case, and we were talking before before starting recording that there's there's been this uncomfortable vibe that the film might have been sort of wrestled away from him because of the reshoots and stuff like that and how much of the finished product is really going to be his his own vision
0: yeah yeah
1: i yeah i really hope that it is that
0: is something i worry about he he's clearly so enthusiastic and he has so much like passion and love for star wars which is lovely to see um but yeah, I, I do worry about him because it's like, oh, he's so nice, I just want everything to go his way and for him to have made the film that he envisaged making. Like I think best case scenario is that there were really, really severe problems with this film as it was originally because they were rushed and they didn't have time to finish everything they needed to. So then they took a break to rewrite the script, essentially, and then went back in and filmed the stuff they needed so that they could make a really good film that everyone could be proud of that's best case scenario and that's what I hope is the case um, but yeah it, it's very difficult to speculate on these things because we're dealing a lot in terms of gossip and rumours so yeah it's best not to form too many conclusions on the basis of that um, what do, what have you found about the featurette and like all of this Gareth Edwards stuff Natasha
2: oh i uh yeah it's nice to see his enthusiasm he's uh, but i also you can also tell that yeah there's a lot of weight on his shoulders because i feel like this is the first anthology film people have a lot of expectations around it they're kind of like i almost feel like people are kind of expecting it to fail as compared to the um main movies um mm-hmm. at least in terms of not it will, it will obviously not have the same box office pull and uh that the sequel trilogy will, but it needs to be good in order for them to continue to make these anthology stories, so yeah, it's a lot of pressure, especially on a first-time kind of filmmaker like, well not, he's not first-time, but Godzilla is probably pretty much the only one I'm aware of that he made that was a big movie, so
0: Yeah, it was, um, Monsters was his breakout movie, Um oh, that yeah. was pretty much DIY, so Godzilla yeah. was definitely the first time he had a studio film of a decent budget Yeah Yeah Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, the obviously this kind of thing, it's very much studio mandated. It's everyone's saying, Oh, it's so amazing. Look, it's Star Wars, yay Um, which is all great and you can tell there's lots of genuine like love and excitement on the set, which is fantastic. But the most substantial thing to come come out of this besides from observations that poor Gareth Edwards looks very tired um, is that there's a rating at the end of the US version of this feature mm-hmm. and it says that Rogue One is going to be PG-13 for extended sequences of sci-fi violence and action and that is not very unexpected because it was hardly going to be rated R or or X or whatever the American rating system is um, <laughs> Um, so yeah I think this is pretty standard really in terms of what we're expecting the main reason why it's surprising to me is that we have a rating this early because I would have thought you couldn't get a film rated until you had a final cut of it and given how last minute everything is on Rogue One I'd almost be shocked if they had a final cut at this stage I'd expect them to still be working last minute like literally days before it starts getting its press showings um but yeah, they're, clearly they're doing better than I thought they were because presumably they have a final film or what is, is nearest as damage to a final film.
2: Yeah. And I've seen some discussion around the sci-fi violence and action online in terms of what that means for the story. And yeah. it's, it's, it's just, I think it's a lot of it is going to be managing expectations because they were early talk of the movie was that it was going to be a war movie. And then obviously that kind of got scaled back because it's, it, it needs to be family friendly in some way. Yeah. Um, but you get the idea that they're gonna they're gonna show, you know, extended sequences of violence and action, but I don't think it's gonna be on the level that it, you know, gratuitous in any way. I think they're, you know, more like blaster shots and Darth Vader force choking people, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean The Force Awakens was PG thirteen and it had like a little bit of blood in various mm-hmm. places, but it's not a particularly gruesome or truly frightening movie. Yeah.
0: It's not intense at all, I don't think. Like I, I wouldn't take a four-year-old to go and see it. <laughs> um, mainly because they'd get bored. Because um, so I have a four-year-old niece and I know how brief her attention span is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think for like eight of and above, it's probably fine. Um, so yeah, it's probably going to be pretty much similar with Rogue One. Although I think they might be a bit more daring in terms of what they show, because it was very minimal in Force Awakens. I think... The main re- aspects of the Force Awakens that justified PG thirteen were, like the psychological implications of things, mm-hmm. like a son murdering his father is. It would be difficult to pass that off in like a U rated film. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's more like the thematic qualities of that film than uh, anything visceral that you see on screen.
1: Um, the other thing that I noticed in the, and I probably just sound super cynical. <laughs> um, I noticed Gareth is <laughs> so
0: cynical about Rose. I know. I love like, it. <laughs>
1: keep, keep repeating myself there, but um, that Gareth Edwards called Jin a strong woman. Mm. Uh, what do you guys think about that as a term? Because I get where people are coming from—that it's like, yay, strong female lead. You know, that's—it's like a buzzword at the moment. Mm. But I just feel like it's overused, and it doesn't really tell us an awful lot. And I—I I don't really understand what people mean when they say strong woman in terms of a character because what's the opposite like a, a weak character does that mean they're weakly written or they're weak in terms of their choices and their values mm. i don't know i i'm having trouble articulating myself but it just rubs me up the wrong way for some reason
0: yeah no i can't help but think it's just meaningless or on its own that term is meaningless because according to some people on the internet like to be a strong woman you cannot have any trace of romantic relationships at all that advice that like infringes upon your strength apparently yeah like what is a strong woman will vary so much from individual to individual i'd rather to like hear about like oh she's brave or she's intelligent or she's cunning or she's witty something like that is just much more real and it conveys much more about the character in my opinion so like you say just saying someone is strong like doesn't really mean much to me um what did you think natasha
2: Oh, I agree completely. Um, I, I, I'm i wondering what her motivation is, because, you know, obviously they show her kind of being broken out of uh, being in jail. Right. And she's got this whole surly kind of I've been alone and I'm not, you know, for me, strong female characters are more interesting based on their weaknesses and their and the the conflicts they have, keeping them yeah. from joining in the fight. So yeah saying a strong female character it's just it's definitely a buzzword and we we know that as the protagonist she's going to obviously impress us and make us feel you know great but we want to know more about who she really is and what her drive what drives her i think which yeah. we haven't really gotten
0: <laughs> yeah no exactly i i think it's like Kirsty was saying earlier like we know that she's probably gonna be this like inspirational force that everyone bands around But what is it about this character that's going to make her so motivating to everyone else? Like, why is she important and capable of doing that? Is it just there's something really special within her that makes that possible? Or is it just like like, arbitrary? Everyone's like, oh, okay, you're awesome. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, there has to be some substance, this character, like that goes just beyond her being strong. In air quotes, that makes her like a powerful force who people want to root for, and in universe who people want to rally around in order to try and win this fight. So yeah, we've got to hope there's more to her than what the PR spiel makes it seem. But I- I'm sure there will be because yeah. these things are always really empty. To be honest, <laughs> they very <laughs> rarely convey much. Yeah. Um. Right. We said everything we want to say about the future app. Yes. Okay, cool. Then we will move on to our spotlight section and this time it's going to be much ado about shipping. (laughs) Um, So we're going to essentially approach this topic as if this is like an alien concept because we don't want to assume knowledge in advance, even though some of you may well know quite a lot about shipping. So we're just going to run through a brief history of what shipping is in general and then its history in terms of Star Wars fandom before getting into Force Awakens shipping in particular and our personal experiences of that. So it's going to be more discussion about fandom than about Star Wars itself, but obviously the two are inextricably linked because Star Wars is so much about its fandom at this stage that we feel it's important to have these discussions and yeah, just talk openly about these things.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how qualified I am even to be part of this discussion <laughs> because shipping is still so new to me. Mm. I wasn't familiar with it at all before The Force Awakens, so it's been an education.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's about having any qualifications as such. Like, because obviously everyone who does the Star Wars podcast, all they're driven by is it. just their passion for Star Wars and their like interest in that property. So... I think and that's going to be the way we approach this discussion like while we do to begin with try to give some context the core of it is really going to be our personal experiences of that Mm. and that is going to be useful because our personal experiences are all quite different and some of us are quite new to this whole shipping thing generally and that's good because then it means we have those fresh perspectives on this because while we may not have known much about shipping prior to december 2015 we sure as hell know a lot about (laughs) it now (laughs) right um so on tv tropes we have a useful definition of shipping and it goes thusly rooting for fictional romance to happen The term shipping, which ostensibly derives from relationship, was originally coined by fans of the X-Files who were divided between relationshipers pushing for romance, and no-romos, who (laughs) would rather have no hugging and no kissing. That's so cute. (laughs) The phenomenon itself, however, was ubiquitous in practically every fandom long before. Shipping is just a consequence of plain old human nature. Love, lust, romance, hormones, call it what you will. It is a huge part of the human experience. And even if a story is not romantic by genre, a well-done love story can become its emotional anchor. I know that you um, looked up some interesting stuff about the history of shipping, Natasha. Like, do you elaborate on that at all? Like, I think you found some enlightening stuff about Star Trek shipping, like the early origins.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a little bit familiar with The X-Files, uh, especially since I've been listening to this podcast. Well, it's no longer in rush- running, but it's a podcast called The X-Files Files by Camille Nanjiani. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because he makes fun of shippers still, I mean, after, you know, 20, 30 years later. <laughs> uh, and there's actual archived discussions on those boards from back, you know, in the early days of the Internet where they were discussing as episodes were coming out. And I mean, that's your first Internet Example of the shipping war versus the you know people that don't want it, people to ship. Period. <laughs> yeah. And it, what the great thing is that the creators have come out and said that they were actually lurking those boards, looking at that kind of conversation happening, and letting it shape the story. And that's why they you know kind of consistently teased it throughout the whole the whole. If I don't know if you've ever watched X Files all the way through, but yeah, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of th- uh, the earliest kind of shipping that happened uh, was uh, Kirk Spock from the original series. Uh, mm-hmm. Girls used to write not girls, women, I should say, uh, kind of formed communities around writing fanfiction about the coupling between these two. And I'll Mm. have some links for you guys. But it's really interesting because a lot of them went on to have writing careers or to be more involved in sci-fi. So it was a a very interesting way for women to engage together in fandom that hadn't really been done before. Um, And then that kind of kept going. There's, of course, you know, Star Wars had its own shipping um, war going on as well as the movies came out. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And that's probably a good time to segue into the the general discussion about Star Wars shipping. Um, Because obviously when the original trilogy came out, even though there was no internet back in 1977, there were still plenty of passionate fans who were like, Oh my God, people! (laughs) And like smushing them together into relationships. Oh yeah. So I I don't think any of us were born then. (laughs) But looking back at it from like a historical perspective... Like, you do see that there was obviously Han and Luke, um, Han and Leia,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Luke and Leia. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> obviously cringe, although... Um, I see people sleep... still
1: shipping them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I follow a few people
1: on Tumblr and it's very interesting to see.
0: Yeah, and no, you do find some, cr- I suppose, crack manifestations of shipping where it is things that have no realistic possibility whatsoever of ever becoming canon because it's stuff like incest. Which and obviously George Lucas while he did go in a creepy direction by making Luke and Leia siblings. He wasn't then going to go and have them get married after he'd revealed that they were siblings.
1: Yeah, the stuff that I've seen either has them as canonic like in the fiction they are not related or that they don't know yet. It's, I'm not sure how to feel
2: about that. But, you know.
0: <laughs> ship and
2: light ship. Yeah, That's like, so awkward. <laughs> I guess uh, when the movies were coming out, you know, as they were coming out, you know, people were obviously the, there was no impl- indication whatsoever that they were going to be twins until Return of the Jedi, and a lot of people were upset at that point when they revealed that because they felt that it was very shoehorned into the narrative, which you know it kind of was. Um, but yeah, the the stories around. The uh, early um, fandom in Star Wars are f- hilarious and kind of awful at the same time. Like we, you think people are bad on Tumblr or on the internet in general. Uh, you know, shippers for Han Luke would basically throw their homemade zines into Mark Hamill's yard, and apparently his children found them, which is yeah, <laughs> oh, poor That's... poor kids.
0: That must have been so traumatic.
2: Yeah, some people were very very invested in that and uh, but i mean a lot of a lot of good stuff came out of it as well we're not just focused on the negative but i thought that was yeah. funny
0: I, I do think it's interesting because it's not like shipping is a phenomenon that is linked to the internet shipping did not come originate with the, the internet it's something that existed for many many decades before and that to me does convey that there is just something intrinsic in human nature when you get invested in fiction and fictional characters that there is just this natural impulse sometimes to like speculate about the relationships between those characters and get invested from that point of view because that is all that shipping is essentially is about thinking oh wouldn't it be interesting if x were put with x and so on and so forth
1: yeah i think it's different for every single person right because everyone engages with fiction differently Um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we might talk about this a bit later, but there seem to be different levels of how shipping is perceived either by the shippers or the wider community. Mm-hmm. Um, so s- some ships are labeled as crack, like you say, They, um, the shippers themselves largely know that there's no chance of actually happening in canon, but that's not really why they're into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And then some people, and I would put myself into this bracket, um, ship something because they think it's where the story is going, and that's what they're interested in exploring with other fans. Mm.
2: Exactly. I think. I think I myself would be the latter in that situation as well.
0: Yeah. No. For me, it's important that there is like concrete reasons in the material to think, "Oh, yeah, I can really see this dynamic, and I think there are interesting ways this could take it." I I don't like ship things because I'm absolutely certain that it has to. Become manifest in the story going forward but I do have to think it has a legitimate possibility of becoming part of the story going forward uh, because my enjoyment of say Raylo, for example that comes from how exciting I think it would be for that dynamic to become a central part of the story in the future films so my enjoyment of that ship is inextricably linked to my appreciation of the films and how I understand them on a narrative level so, yeah, and, and this, again, is probably a good cue to move on to Force Awakens shipping <laughs> because we've already started crossing that line. Um, so I, I think it's probably safe to say that all three of us, we come to Force Awakens shipping from a Raylo perspective. That is what we are most interested in. But obviously Raylo's is far, far from the only ship in Force Awakens fandom. Um, Kirsty you don't want to reel off a few for the uninitiated.
1: Uh, Well, the most popular in terms of the amount of fanfiction produced is Kylox. So, to those unfamiliar, that's people pairing Kylo Ren and General Hux. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that's described as a slash ship, I think. That's the same-sex pairings, um, and you seem to get these in every fandom. And, from my perspective, um, Kylox is... It's popular because General Hux is something of a blank slate. Yep. He's, you know, I think he has like three minutes of screen time. So people can make him into whoever they want him to be. So if you want to pair Kylo Ren with a man, that might be the way to go. Mm. Um, There's also Finlow. People can probably work out what that is. <laughs> uh, there's Dark Pilot, which is Poe and Kylo Ren. And people, you know, a lot of that comes from like an idea of the backstory that they possibly share together. They could have grown up together and stuff like that. So Mm. Um, what else is there? There's there's Finray. Um, Storm pilot. Yes. Storm pilot. Yeah, you
0: missed the pink elephant in the room.
1: Well, I feel like that was kind of media generated. And then it's become much less popular on... That could just
0: be my perception. No, it, it's still right. the it's still the second most popular ship. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the second most like in terms of stories on Archive of Our Own, which is quite a good metric. So I I had a look,
1: and mm. a lot of Storm Pilot stories seem to have them as the secondary couple, and it's at Raylo as the primary focus of the
2: story. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed yeah. that?
0: Yeah, and I have noticed that there was like a massive slowdown. There was lots of enthusiasm for an interest in Storm pilot immediately after The Force Awakens was released. And like you say, a big part of that was media generated because Mm -hmm. there were lots of stories like, you'll never guess the ship that came out of Force Awakens, dot, 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 it's not Finn and Rey. (laughs) That's literally a headline I saw. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so there was lots of attention on it from that perspective. But it's interesting how yeah it has waned and like the mo- Storm Pilot community on Tumblr is much more quiet than it was initially and yeah like I I've n- I I don't ship it like zero problem with Storm Pilot it's fine it's awesome and I- and I do like like you can see the flirtatious edge to Oscar's performance as Poe um, but I'm just not interested in reading stories about that pairing. Um, see I don't feel qualified to comment on why interest has declined but I still find that interesting the fact that there's so, like ships like Kylox and Reylo there's still lots of momentum behind them but things like Stormpilot has kind of like drifted off mm-hmm. I do wonder if it's like I think John Baker like a few months after the film came out he kind of doused that ship somewhat I think in comments in an interview like just saying it's more like the fans than what will actually happen um, but I don't have a source for that, and that might be a false recollection.
1: That might suggest that some people are more interested in ships that will be canon than because like, Kylux, I think you know, ninety-five percent of its shippers probably know that that's not going to happen in canon. Yeah. that's not probably why they ship it. Yeah, um, but it sounds like from Storepilot, if that's the reaction that was there, people thought that it actually could happen, and then he said that it wasn't going to.
2: I think there was so like that... a Twitter campaign to like make or like it was definitely on tumblr but also on twitter that they wanted to feature you know a gay relationship within star wars which is definitely we do need that representation um but i think they kind of got a little bit of a a backlash from well just not a backlash maybe just more of like yeah the dampening of the expectations so i think that kind of okay mitigated that a lot
1: yeah the idea Um, of campaigning for a ship to happen is interesting mm -hmm. like that could easily go too far i think yeah, You have to be respectful, because it's, it's the creator's vision that's most important. So mm. Exactly.
0: Um, I would like to offer a slightly different perspective on Kylux. Again, while I don't ship it, I've got a friend who is very like into General Hux, and while she, I don't think she ships Kylux either, she is very strongly aware of Kylux, because you can't be a fan mm. of General Hux and not notice what's going on in Kylux fandom. Mm. It's, the two are like inextricably linked. Um but i do think it's also about those characters both being like in a similar position of power they're both powerful young men so they are like on a level in that respect um and there's also the antagonism between them Oh yeah, is is that whole idea of oh they hate each other so passionately they must be in love? Oh, I don't, I don't
1: mean to imply that there's absolutely nothing interesting about their dynamic in the film. Yeah, there obviously is, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more interactions between them. Mm. Um, but I, I think people can stretch that to mean maybe there's some, you know, a a love to hate kind of dichotomy going on between them. But I don't think anyone's actually expecting that to become part of the the story itself, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, the so. fandom version of Hux is a completely different animal than the movie Hux, right? I mean, he's, yeah, they've they've, they've created a, their own character, which I, I find really great. Um, you, you saw something like that when the Harry Potter fandom with uh, Voldemort Tom Riddle, you know, mm-hmm. a younger Tom Riddle. Um, but in general, yeah, it, it's, it's a completely different animal than what we're going to get in the films. And I think they're aware of it and they're just having fun with what they've been shown, so... Yeah.
0: Yeah, no definitely and it's funny because Pablo Hidalgo he like proposed the idea of General Hux having this pet ginger cat called Militant. Yeah. And it is amazing to see how like central that concept of Hux having a cat has become to kylox fandom. It kind yeah. of has
1: this domesticated quality, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no exactly. And if you look at like kylux fan fan art and there's some really great kylux fan art like so often like there will be a a cat held in the hux's arms or something (laughs) exactly and that's what it's about you know it's about this oh impulse (laughs) i don't mind that he blew up several planets (laughs) he has a pussy gap so
1: so one thing that i have noticed um in a lot of uh podcasts and kind of youtube channels and stuff that are more kind of um fanboy oriented they, mm. don't, they don't talk about shipping in explicit terms you know, obviously <laughs> yeah. but yeah. i've seen some propose the idea that since they think that finn and ray might not happen um that poe could be a love interest for ray oh no Which i consider crack <laughs> she's
2: <laughs> 35, 35 they right? <laughs> haven't
1: even met yet we don't know if they will meet in the next film i mean presumably they'll meet at some point but we don't actually know
2: um, yeah so the but ended with them meeting actually if you remember that oh, yes yeah it yeah. did
1: but i just think it's interesting when men speculate about this it's not always considered shipping it's just like oh this is we're talking about something that could actually be part of the story whereas a lot of the time women having the same conversations about stuff that's actually part of the text itself it's mm-hmm. dismissed as trivial
0: yeah no and it's interesting so i think there's this confusion of like the concept of shipping as having nothing to do with Canon, having nothing to do with the movies. Like shipping is perceived as being like a completely separate thing Uh with like no relevance to what's actually on screen. So people perceive it as like projection. It's like purely about like the superficial, the surface level, like about putting attractive people together because you want them to have sex. (laughs) That is how shipping is perceived outside of shipping circles. And yeah, it's a bit reductive to put it mildly. Um, I, and I've just realised that I think we've covered virtually all the TFA ships apart from Raylo,
2: <laughs> except for uh, uh, Jessica Pava and Ray. Yes, are- yes. Asma and Ray. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's true. Um, I, I think we've pointed out before that Ray has very limited interactions with other human females <laughs> in um, the Force Awakens. So it has been interesting to see people. Go to those like relationships that Frank simply do not exist in any way, shape, or form in the films or in official tie media, and like latch onto them as like f- female female parents because there's nothing in the film that w- helps from that respect, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and that's that's an important aspect of shipping that I think is often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, The Force Awakens barely passed the Bechdel test, and arguably it doesn't because um, in the, the conversation that Maz has with Ray, Luke is mentioned oh, yeah. and then in the context of Leia talking to Ray as she goes off they've just had a conversation, in the novelization anyway, um, they've been talking about her son and her hopes for going off to Luke and finding him mm-hmm. so these, these ships are often a reaction to what is not addressed in canon and mm-hmm. um, the types mm-hmm. of relationships that are often overlooked by Hollywood so I I don't think that people should dismiss it so easily. Yeah,
0: that's no. no, true. And I think that's a lot of the place that Stormpilot came from.
1: Yeah. And that would be, cause, you know, Finn and Poe are loved and admired. That would be a positive representation. And that that's a, another thing. I know I sound like I'm against Kylox. I'm really not, but pairing <laughs> two villains like that arguably would not be a positive represent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it definitely, it, it, yeah, it, it has some problematic aspects in regards to certain tropes that have been used, you know, and we have to think of it like most fan fiction is transformative. It looks at the work that exists and says, yeah, I'm not represented here, so I'm going to write about something that is, that, you know, mm-hmm. works me or like I, I love. And there's this kind of dichotomy set up between that and what we would go quote unquote canon or curative uh, work where you're trying to stick completely to what the creator's intention was. And I think, you know, there's merits to both, but we shouldn't dismiss, you know, crack ships or slash ships on the, the idea that they're not going to happen. It's, you know, it's just a way for people to express what they're not being seen in range media. So, yeah,
1: I think um, one of the issues with um, how shipping is perceived as the, what. Uh, from the wider fandom is that the two get confused. Um and we talked about this briefly last week that you, you try and go on to forums that have they cast a wider net and you talk about the dynamic between Ray and Kylo Ren, which is a canon dynamic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and there's lots to unpack there. Um but it's dismissed as something that you're somehow seeing in your you know, you know, you're, you're seeing it, it's not really there.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> totally true. And I think this is probably a good point to like move on to like our personal experiences of like how shipping has been perceived like in the online communities we've interacted with and like the kind of behavior and treatment we've experienced as shippers in these spaces because I think that's a good conversation to have and yeah I I just don't see people speaking about it as much as I would like them to so yeah I, I know um Both of you, Kirsty and Natasha, it's my impression that for you guys, Raylo was probably like the first time you ever properly shipped anything. Is that right?
2: Yep. Yes, that's correct.
1: Yeah, and I didn't. In like I said at the beginning, I wasn't. I didn't really know much about shipping, so I became part of the community because I went on to these larger forums that were just about Star Wars and tried to Mm -hmm. talk about Ray and Kylo Ren's dynamic as I'd interpreted it within the story itself. Um, and I know I wasn't alone that you know there were threads and lots of engaging discussion at first, but it mm. was met overall with um such negativity that it was then, okay, well, to talk about this and it's what I want to keep talking about, it's what I'm most interested in. I need to go to these spaces like Tumblr that mm. are more um receptive to that kind of thing that they already had these conventions for shipping communities, yeah, that's um, exactly. Ha-
2: Sorry, Natasha. Please. on. Oh, no, no. I was going to say I. I come from. It. I. I was part of the speculation on Reddit and uh, you know, kind of the larger internet community, well before the Force Awakens came came out. And people were discussing the possibility of a romance. They were unrelated. And then yeah. um, you know, within the first few months after the release of the movie, the the whole thing, you know, basically, the, there's a huge sea change because everybody kind of accepted Ray Skywalker as being the status mm-hmm. quo interpretation of the film. When, you know, in reality, we did see, you know, them setting up this really interesting dynamic between these two characters. And so, like, Kirsty, I, I was interested in what people had to say about it in the original fandom. But you saw that there is a lot of negativity. And so that's how I ended up on Tumblr myself. I made my first Tumblr account just to post about it, basically.
0: Yeah. Um, for me... I- it was a slightly different position because I, I do have a track record with shipping stuff mm-hmm. before like my first fandom when when I was a little baby fan <laughs> was when I was about like 14 I think and I shipped some um, Jareth and Sarah from Labyrinth <laughs> um, a film I still adore very much I love it um, yeah so I, I had history in shipping but i'm not the kind of person where i will go into a film or a tv show or anything like that thinking oh what am i going to ship next like is not about that for me that it has to be like a particular dynamic and relationship on screen that i watch and i'm intrigued by and that i think oh I, I like that let's like i want to explore this more so i'm going to get invested in the fandom and for me Rayla was particularly interesting because I had religiously kept up to date with all the spoilers before the film came out and I don't know if either of you have gone back and read the spoilers that were out there after you saw the film but the spoilers that were out there, they did not in any way reflect the dynamic as it comes across on screen Yeah. Mm-hmm. because obviously spoilers they can't convey performances they can't convey line readings, they can't Convey those nuances of character that you get in the actual film as a finished product. So at first, I was like confused by what I was seeing because I was pretty convinced that Rey was Skywalker the first few times I saw it. But then the more I watched it, the more prominent that Rey and Kylo dynamic came came to seem to me, and I was like, "But no, these two things they don't jive. She can't be Luke's daughter." And there be this dynamic between Rey and Kylo. That doesn't make sense. So that was kind of when I started discussing it with other fans and actually refining my thoughts and thinking more deeply about what was on screen and what that meant for the character dynamic and how that might feed into the future. And yeah, I had also been posting on mainstream forums about Star Wars before Force Awakens came out and yeah, like you guys, I found them quite unreceptive <laughs> to put it mildly to any like suggestion that there might be a romance between these characters and yeah, that essentially makes you retreat it makes you want to find safe spaces where you're not going to be constantly shouted down mm. and ridiculed and have your opinions degraded and dismissed as irrelevant projections so yeah it just essentially turns you off the mainstream discourse in star wars fandom specifically um so yeah is it a bit disheartening uh is it interesting though that this ship in particular has attracted this kind of vitriol and this level of resistance from like mainstream star wars fandom uh, i was wondering like, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Like, why do you think this ship in particular is perceived as such a threat?
1: I think for obvious reasons, people don't like the idea of Kylo Ren in a romantic relationship now, especially not with the heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that. Um, it's just more about thinking where the story could go. And, um, the idea of Raylo hinges on you also seeing him as a character who's being set up for redemption. Um, and I do. And I think you guys are the same. Mm-hmm. So it, it ha- you have to have a very specific reading of the film. And a lot of people, and we've seen this in terms of the reaction to J.J. Abrams' commentary, did not think that he was being set up for redemption. They thought that when he killed Han Solo, that was it for him.
2: Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm.
1: him, you know, making a stelsea bargain. That's it. He's on the dark side. Um, so if you see it from that angle, of course, the idea of him being in a relationship with Rey is abhorrent. Like I understand that, but I just I've like you, it's been very discouraging to go into these communities and try and have a dialogue and say, well, maybe that's not where things are going. Maybe if you look at it from this perspective and read this line like this and look at his face when he does this and um it's it's almost like people just do not want to hear it um and have become mm-hmm. so invested in the idea of him becoming a one dimensional villain, um, that you can't have that dialogue and Mm. depending on my mood i'll go in and i'll have a debate with people for a while and it doesn't affect me so it doesn't make me um get upset or anything but there are days where i just don't want to deal with it and i'd rather talk to people who i already know will be receptive to my ideas not that it's an echo chamber we'll still have differences in opinion of how we see certain things or where we think things might end up going um Mm. but just that you you want to exchange ideas in a more friendly open way yeah absolutely But I think it's been a loss to the community as a whole as well. I think, you know, people who really hate the idea of it maybe feel like there was some kind of victory when things were really shut down in a more Mm -hmm. final way. But I think by ignoring these reactions between the heroine and her villain, um, it's,
2: I think it's really made the fandom suffer in a way. Mm. I can attest to that just having spent the last year reading on Reddit people's <laughs> god-awful uh, speculations around uh, Ray Skywalker. And uh, I, th- I think people, a lot of the rejection of, of Raylo comes from that. Um, and then beyond that, uh, people just don't even want to consider that that's a possibility, even though we have a lot of textual narrative evidence evidence both in the film and in the supplementary materials to say that, you know, Kylo is definitely going to you know, struggle with the dark side more and come back to the light. I mean, it, it seems obvious to us, but for a lot of people, it's, it's definitely not, as you can see by all the commentary still going on. Um, so it's disheartening, but it's also, we're kind of like Cassandra we're calling it out before it happens and nobody believes us. And so we have to kind of <laughs> deal with that, um, that kind of role, uh, I think to making it known that this is this is you know, just fighting the arguments that come up can be really difficult because people want to instead of actually arguing that it it can't or won't exist um, by showing textual kind of evidence for it, they pretty much just immediately attack the people making the speculation. Um, it's I think very, of that.
1: that's it's very interesting to me that a lot of these straw man arguments have been constructed to attack other fans for simply re- reacting to what's in the story as opposed to if you honestly think that Kylo Ren I mean I, I don't want to wade into all of the various implications yes. people have put on the interrogation scene and in that but people really make him out to be a truly monstrous character and I know that he is the villain but it's Star Wars it's a movie suitable for children and there are children dressing up as him for Halloween and wearing Kylo Ren backpacks mm-hmm. and lunchboxes. And um, I think people lose some perspective sometimes. Um, yeah. And it's it's like, if you really, really think that this character represents what you think he does, take it up with Lucasfilm or J.J. Abrams. Uh, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, I often find that the concepts of Raylo that people use to attack it they bear either very little or no relation to the concepts of Raylo that shippers themselves have. So, like, for shippers, or at least the shippers that I know, the fascination and the appeal of this dynamic is that it's between two characters who are equally matched. Like, Rey is repeatedly shown to overcome Kylo and get the better of him, and at the end of the film she's literally standing over him, having, like, beaten him bloody, Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially. Like, whereas the arguments you get from people who hate Raylo and say it's disgusting and terrible and should never be entertained as a legitimate direction for the story. Like they would have you believe that Raylo shippers like want to see this abusive relationship where like Kylo is dominating Ray and like slapping her around. And Uh, yeah, it's just so depressing because it's like, no, that is abhorrent to me. That is not the kind of story I want to see or they would ever in a million years tell. But is like people's minds are so narrowed at this point because they're so resistant to this idea that they resort to ever more extreme versions of the Raylo that they want to be what shippers are in- invested in because that is easier to tear down, that is easier to attack. Yeah. They almost don't want to engage with the real arguments and interpretations being put forward by people because they can see that there are things in the film that support those interpretations that is not from people's heads is stuff in the film that people are picking up on
1: yeah okay. if people aren't on tumblr themselves it probably sounds insane um <laughs> I've, I've tried to explain the way fandom discourse goes on to people who are completely unfamiliar they're just casual fans of star wars and they just think it's nuts that um mm. we call them aunties. Mm-hmm. It sounds it sounds so <laughs> juvenile but these people will send strangers on the internet death threats call them racist homophobic abuse apologists all Mm. kinds of appalling things um and the idea apparently is that people shouldn't even be allowed to ship it um without even the assumption that it could be canon they are not even allowed to ship it as a crack pairing because it's somehow damaging to children as if children are on
2: Tumblr looking at this stuff. Yeah, I just I love the you know save the children aspect of the pearl clutching that happens. Right. And, and, and the the worst of it is you know Tumblr has anti-shipping communities and for everything, but the worst of it was when it comes from from you know your traditional fan base. You know you're mostly male, like um, Reddit kind of is a good example of that. Uh, where they're kind of creating this whole argument that we should feel bad as women for trying to introduce these themes to children and that, you know, there would be no way they'd let their daughter watch that or, you know, God forbid you have children because obviously you're messed up. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so frustrating. I'm sure you're with me because we've, we've dealt with it on both sides. We've dealt with, um, and then also on the larger fan communities. Um, But trying to get people to understand that it's sexist and reductive to do that kind of argumentation is it's yeah, it's it's almost like those people have their hands over their ears and they're not going to hear it. They're just going to continue spouting out that line of rhetoric.
1: Yeah. Um, Honestly, one of the most disappointing things for me has been to see um, established female voices in the fandom um, attacking not just Raylo but shippers as a whole um mm. the idea that one shipping is made up it's somehow a hive mind because it's not there's plenty of infighting and discourse and disagreements mm. that go on it's not like all people who ship Raylo think it's going to go out the same way or even understand the characters the same way because everyone has their own understanding of who ray is who kylo ren is where things might go we only have the first part of the story um but there's just a lot of gatekeeping that goes on that i really am disappointed in seeing it has not been um, a very pleasant welcome to the Star Wars fandom.
0: Yeah. Um, I find there's this phenomenon where you'll find that there's a few shippers who behave badly, for example. So the kind of people who, when Daisy was on Instagram, they would go into her Instagram comments and spam it with like stupid comments like, Raylo, 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 <laughs> like as if like, writing Raylo, Raylo, Raylo in litany would make it happen. Like, that's really aggravating to me and it's pointless and silly but from the way some people behave you'd think that every single shipper who's ever lived who's ever engaged with fandom behaves like that is like this annoying obnoxious person who like aggressively pursues people like on social media as if that will make any difference to the canon, like to the likelihood of this canon becoming, pe- re- becoming real mm-hmm. and that's just a fallacy. You know, like, I have <laughs> encountered a fair number of very clearly misogynistic Star Wars fans. But I don't assume that all Star Wars fans are misogynists, exactly. because I've encountered a fair few of them. But it seems that it's a different rule for shippers. So because some shippers are obnoxious and behave badly, that becomes the representation of all shippers in some people's eyes. And is like, look, I'm sorry that those people behave in the way they do. I wish they wouldn't. And I am expressing my dislike of their behavior in strong terms. But I don't feel I should be held accountable for what they're doing because they have nothing to do with me beyond shipping the same thing. Like, yeah, you were treated as a hive mind when you were seen as a shipper. And you're also treated as like a lower form of intelligence (laughs) somehow because you're apparently just like, Purely obsessed by superficial things, and like sex and physicality, and those things, of course, have nothing to do with pure Star Wars, which is about paint modifications to Darth Vader's helmet between New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, etc., etc. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Ideas
1: of love and redemption have
2: nothing to do with Star Wars. I don't know where you guys got that idea from. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Completely irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. The, that's the best part. That's that's kind of the the irony of these discussions that we get with people that are true star wars fans cuz there are just so many things that you could say about the relationship between padme and anakin for example um for, and you know the way anakin treats luke i mean he cuts his hand off but, it's, but we nobody ever questions his redemption or like he de- whether or not he deserved it on the basis that he you know really literally hurt padme at the end of Re- revenge of the sith yeah, you, you would think that there would be this kind of like moral policing and kind of like uproar or, and, and I won't show my children this if this happens with that. But there isn't because it's, a, it's acceptable, you know, the, the, rede- the, the redeeming love of the original trilogy is the fact that, you know, the son forgives the father. Uh, so I, I think they're just not comfortable with the idea that that might happen in a romantic context versus a familial one.
1: Yeah, and I, I understand being concerned about the execution yeah, It could be dreadful. I hope it's not, but I'm going to reserve my judgment um, yep. until I actually see the story. But the idea of um, a shipper somehow being okay with an abusive relationship is, is just ridiculous. And if things went that way, I would not support it. That's, you know, that's not something I'm interested in seeing. I don't believe it's going to go that way. It's, that's ridiculous. It's Star Wars, but um, I just... I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of moving goalposts and st- mm-hmm. straw men and it's it gets a bit exhausting after a while. I know
2: I'm coming across as really negative, but no, I think we're we're all we're all dealing with a you know a year's worth of of having to combat this useless stuff instead of actually talking about Star Wars like we wanted to.
1: Yeah, and as I said before, I think it really has gotten in the way of some genuine exploration of the true dynamic that's that's here, that it took J.J. Abrams pointing out really obvious stuff about the kind of fairy tale tropes that they were using, the archetypes of the characters. And it's all stuff that we've written about in our essays. Mm. Um, So it was very validating to hear. But even now... Um, we, Rachel and I might have jumped the gun last week when we were like, "Oh yeah, the the discussion's changing." It always <laughs> seems like a lot of that's being forgotten about, conveniently because it doesn't support people's <laughs> head canons of what they wish were going on. Exactly. Um. I was, yeah. yeah.
0: I think it's very easy for people to reject things that don't align with their personal perception. Like so, because the because the commentary points towards conclusions some people would rather deny is easier just to like dismiss it as irrelevant with nothing like worthwhile to say and no bearing on anything which is unfortunately what I've seen a lot. Like you say I think our optimism was misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so that that's another source of aggravation. I, I really think at this stage that that the like Raylo will only be accepted as a thing, I think, if either a, we get spoilers that say Kylo and Ray kiss. <laughs> so literally unequivocal, they are romantic. Or the film comes out and there, it's revealed to be romantic. Mm. I think it's mm. going to be one of those two things, to be honest. I don't think any amount of discourse or argument will sway people at this stage, unless something new and something big comes out in support of it. Yeah. Because if you have the director's own comments like that seem to support that interpretation of the film, and that character dynamic in particular, and when they're rejected and when they're ignored, well, then there's not much hope. <laughs> yeah.
2: I remember when bloodline came out and we all kind of celebrated the fact that we got a bigger picture of the timeline and uh, you know, the, that six years before the events of the force awakens, Luke was still training um, Ben and we were all like, oh, well, finally, we're going to stop with the Ray Skywalker uh, stuff. No, it keeps going and going and going. And you're right. Until people are shown it, they're not going to believe it or they'll try to. Um, they'll. I mean, we, we have our own confirmation bias, but I feel like we've actually made an attempt to take all of the new speculation and spoilers and supplementary materials. And not twist it into our idea, but change the way that we see the film going or the film's going based on it um whereas it does seem like a lot of other people are kind of looking at it and going, well, I'm just going to gloss over this because it doesn't exist until the film shows me. So,
1: yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean when I say that I I ship it because I think it's a viable story option. If something came out tomorrow that told me it wasn't going to be, I wouldn't ignore it. You know, I would take yeah. it on board and adjust my understanding of the story. But everything that has come out has seemed to seem to support our understanding as a possibility. Um so it's kind of funny that it's still being dismissed or people still mock it as a ship mm-hmm. because nothing has come out to really damage it. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, it's true. Um and again I think this it goes back to this straw man thing. It's ironic, isn't it? You know, you have all this evidence building up that seems to support it, or at least provide a very good foundation for it. And yeah, the arguments are still exactly the same. Oh, that's so silly. Ha <laughs> ha shipping's so dumb. Lol's, look yeah. at those crazy fangirls. Like go back to Tumblr. The... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the arguments from the shipping side have like developed and evolved as new information has come out and I would say they've strengthened. But from the side resisting them, they're still exactly the same as they were at step one mm-hmm. because like there's a, a finite number of counter arguments like in the face of this overwhelming evidence. So it's better to ignore the evidence and just keep sticking to the same lines. Um Yeah. And I think it's, it's particularly disheartening, not just with this abhorrence of Raylo shipping in particular, but with the abhorrence of shipping generally, I think that's really sad because these new films, they're doing a lot to bring in new female fans. Mm-hmm. And, A lot of those female fans, not all of them because obviously no way does every woman like shipping I know plenty of women who (laughs) when I mention shipping to them they're like what? (laughs) They have no concept of what it is, even if they might like Star Wars and enjoy going to see it at the cinema like they have no interest in that side of things and that's absolutely cool and absolutely okay but the truth is that many of these new young female viewers who are coming in to Star Wars they are going to feel just completely ostracized and alienated by the kinds of discussions they see online Mm. because they're like the more typically female perspectives on these things the perspectives that do focus on character relationships and do consider possible romances that those kinds of things unless they are rock solid canon like han and leia married canon (laughs) Like you can't really bring it up because it's just perceived as dumb and stupid and irrelevant. Yeah, And that is just really depressing to me because Lucasfilm, they're doing so much to make these films more attractive to girls and women Mm -hmm. by having these female protagonists. So it seems like the films themselves are becoming more progressive, but the fan base that is not evolving alongside that. It's still this same old like male oriented discourse With this obsession with the same old topics that go round and round in circles, like often, like about what I would consider to be like technical trivia with little in the way of story implications, like that is acceptable and that is okay to talk about. Whereas, like the kinds of things that these new female fans might want to discuss and explore, it's like, nope, that's stupid. Nope, we're not talking about that. Go away. Yeah. Like, it's just like the doors slam close. And that is essentially reinforcing these divisions between these communities. So, like, the whole Tumblr is so stupid. Tumblr is just for silly fangirls, blah, blah, blah. That discourse comes a lot because the people who use Tumblr use it because they're not really accepted anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Because they have been, like, pushed out of more mainstream communities, like mainstream Star Wars forums and Reddit forums and stuff. You are not accepted on those places unless you can toe the line and engage with star wars in the same way that male fans engage with it so you need to go elsewhere for your discussions and yeah i I just find it really sad yeah i think what
1: we're seeing uh is a lot of growing pain um going on in the star wars fandom since disney have bought out lucasfilm and the new canon is coming out and as you say um they are consciously trying to court more female customers um so i am very concerned i'm not a teenage girl myself but i'm very concerned that there are these teenage girls who are being introduced to star wars now and going online and seeing this kind of reaction to the things that they're interested in yeah you know they're they're going to be impressionable and i don't like the idea of these grown adults attacking teenage girls for what they find interesting story yeah
0: yeah yeah and and it's like we discussed in our love and romance episode Particularly absurd because in Star Wars it is so much about love, and that is so important and central to what those films are. And it's almost like insulting to the films themselves to deny that those things are important. Yeah, because they, those films are powerful and memorable and special because of the characters' relationships, uh, and that is what shipping is essentially it is about looking at character relationships and like considering the ways they could go and having fun with exploring those and playing around playing around with them it's like I don't understand why talking about X-Wings and posting photos of cosplay that's all awesome and fine and great but if you dare to try and discuss like a, rom- a potential romance in a future Star Wars film it's like nope go away
1: yeah it's it's not even about potential romance in future coming back to the relo idea it's actually become a band topic to even talk about their interactions in canon as they are yeah. in the force awakens you you can't post animated gifs of them like you know the interrogation yeah. scene or the snow fight or anything you can't even talk about what's going on in the movie itself and i don't understand the purpose of that it's just this bizarre kind of censorship um mm-hmm. It's not going to stop it being the story. It already is. It's right there. So, yeah,
0: yeah. No, it it is frustrating and like even a bit depressing to an extent. But I do think it's really, really important that we're having this conversation and getting this out there because, like, people don't talk about things like this. You know, no. like it, in Star Wars podcasts, I, I often find the discussions are quite superficial. It's like, I love the Collider guys, for example, okay? So, like, that podcast, they're very enthusiastic. They call, clearly all really, really love Star Wars, but it's very much, like, on the surface. Like, they don't talk about, like, character relationships or go in-depth in about analysis, of anything. And that's fine, because that's just not what that podcast is. But... I find that to be the case quite often with like discussions about Star Wars there isn't like much soul searching and people don't tend to look inward much there's not much like analysis like either like of fandom like what we're doing now or even of the film itself um i think i've said before that one of the things that baffled and frustrated me after force awakens came out was that i went out searching for like podcasts like talking about the rain carlo dynamic because that to me was so so central to that film and i could find almost no one bringing it up really in any meaningful way
2: yeah
0: and i i was just amazed i was like why aren't people talking about this uh, and that was just so interesting to me the fact that this thing that seems so crucial and important to the film had just completely flew over people's heads. So I was like, have people seen it but they don't want to acknowledge it? Or "Like, have they just not even noticed that it's anything of significance?
1: Yeah, I noticed that um, people like to talk about the characters um, in and of themselves, like in isolation. Like they'll analyze Kylo Ren, then they'll analyze Ray and Finn but they don't really talk about their interactions so much and that's a, obviously that's a crucial element of storytelling because um they're not real people they're sure. characters who are designed to complement and be foils to each other mm-hmm. um so kylo ren is a villain constructed for a heroine like ray you know exactly. they're not just two people thrown together by accident they are characters who mm-hmm. were written by the same people and i again i feel like i'm stating the obvious but as you say, this is something that we haven't really seen much of in the wider Star Wars fandom. Um, Jason Ward at Making Star Wars makes comments every now and then about a possible dynamic developing between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did so a lot more before the film came out. He'd seen like some concept art and referenced Phantom of the Opera in his articles about it. Um, He's said things about the interrogation scene. Um, when they did their big breakdown of the movie when it first came out, they they did kind of touch on things, but it obviously made them uncomfortable. Every time, every time they talked about it, especially the interrogation scene, um, it was they didn't really know what to say. Which I think I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, um, but they haven't decided to come back to it as the ideas have evolved. Yeah, it's uh, Kylo's redemption as an idea is always very much discussed in isolation or as something that somehow Luke and Leia would be a part of but not
2: the new main character, whether yeah. she's related to him or not. It's like they have a lack of imagination about how the story could go, or they don't want to go down that line because I think a lot of the, there's a lot of trivialization of it, right? Like um, it, it was just really weird because we're looking at the history of Star Wars in terms of discussing the hero's journey or the relation of Luke and Vader as a hero and shadow and we're trying to apply that kind of contextual understanding to the film, but it feels like that's being completely glossed over by mainstream podcasts. I mean, even when you get into some stuff that's really, you know, really strong evidence, like Star Wars Oxygen, for example, exploring the themes between um, Kylo Ren and Rey and how they actually seem to have a you know, commonality in the way the notes are constructed. Just like that kind of stuff, you would expect that to be like a source point for lines of speculation beyond they're just cousins um you know Mm. something where they even just talk about what what kind of what kind of power and conflict comes from that dynamic period um then they just don't they just make it two separate um things which is just mind-boggling to me because we know that they'll spend so much time together in episode eight
1: yeah Mm. i'm very interested to see um how lucasfilm plan to um kind of evolve things as more women and girls do become interested in star wars Mm -hmm. um i know that a lot of the places online aren't anything to do with lucasfilm officially so it's not like they can come in and barge their way in and say hey you have to let women in in and talk about this um Mm. but i think there are going to be a lot of growing pains i don't i don't think people are going to like the idea of new people coming in and feeling very precious about their fandom that they've been part of for decades. And mm-hmm. this is, this is how we talk about it. And that's not how we talk about it. Um, and I've noticed recently, and this makes me really uncomfortable um, because a lot, um I did say before that people aren't um, expressing frustration at Lucasfilm or JJ Abrams for um, how the dynamic was presented. But I have noticed recently some comments about Kathleen Kennedy and mm-hmm. how, and how Ray might be a self insert for her. What That makes me really uncomfortable because
2: it's so obviously targeted at her because she's a woman. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she didn't write the story. No, she didn't. Yeah, it's like the Mary Sue argument that they tried to foist on Ray. You know, just the they again the lack of imagination that goes into some of the responses that we've dealt with. Um, They just it's like you can't imagine what a woman centered story is like or what women want to watch or read, and that's where you you're getting this kind of alienation of of the newer fans that are younger and female because they're targeting that audience. I mean, Disney has a huge history of of targeting that audience and they've kind of combined forces with Lucasfilm to go ahead and, and, and go with that. So, but, you know, and then if they can't attack the creators, they'll attack what they think the creators are making, which is where you get your twilight and 50 shades of gray, um, references because those are both popular female centered and maybe not the best franchises, but just the most well-known apparently. Um, which is really frustrating because, again, you know, we're not we're not comparing it to all of the other female centered like strong protagonist stories, right? Like, we're just comparing it to something that we don't like, so that we can say that you know it's ruining Star Wars.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I've never seen anyone from the Reylo community uh, reference Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight in a serious manner. No, uh, I,
2: think, I mean, I've read it. I've um, well, I'm not saying I've read it because and enjoyed it. I read it so that I could deride it like anybody else does um, <laughs> <laughs> i mean twilight is is the lesser of the evils 50 shades of gray is completely abhorrent and and, and and sorry i'm so sorry but i have to say that it's it's it's, it's fan fiction actually for twilight and it's it, it reads as such it should yeah but the popularity of it you know this is something that we need to realize is that you know younger people and female you know it they're interested in different stuff and maybe it's not the best stuff, but they'll be able to form opinions on it and, and create better stuff or seek out better stuff because of it. So, you know, writing stuff on the basis that it is primarily enjoyed by women is not going to do you any favors in terms of, of actually having a, an honest discussion about where the stand Star Wars fandom is going, you know? And we've seen this too, because we, we've had to kind of, I don't I'm in the thirties and again, I've never shipped anything, uh, But having been part of this community, I'm like, this is this is the way that things are going. The Internet community is going towards having these kind of broader discussions in these different different populations of fans. And we need more inclusion, less exclusion in that.
0: Yeah, I think that's the main thing for me. It's not like people aren't talking about Raylo, like and about the potential for that to come part of the story. It's that people are talking about that in parallel to mainstream Star Wars discourse because as we've made abundantly clear it's like excluded and like and otherized Mm -hmm. by male dominated fandom at large and like like it's tricky so i this isn't about telling anyone they have to become shippers or they have (laughs) themselves to spontaneously develop an interest in romance don't expect that from anyone. It's fine. You don't have to give a shit about romance. Mm-hmm. You don't have to even utter the word ship. But it's like you don't need to be so aggressively hostile towards the people who are interested in those things. Exactly. And do see that as being an important part of the fabric of Star Wars and the way the story might go going forward. Because as the definition of shipping we brought up like at the beginning of this discussion points out like love romance like relationships they're all just part of the f- fabric of the human experience they are fundamental to like art and media and film and it these are not things that should be banned from discussion essentially and they are not things that should be routinely mocked and laughed at um exactly because i'm sorry but when as a woman you're told you you must have been abused or you must have some kind of mental problem in order to be shipping this which are both things i've seen yes not directed at me personally but directed at rail of shippers in general which is in a way even worse (laughs) um and i I, i'm sorry when you see those things it's like no i I don't want to do this anymore i'm sorry but I'm I'm going elsewhere to greener pastures where people aren't going to be awful about this, because it is just this is this quality of the internet, you know, to bring out the worst in people, and I do think these kinds of discussions they do really flag up those like ugly facets of the internet, and yeah, like we we need to get past that. We need to get past like questioning people's personal morality or asking people to like prove that they have been damaged in some way oh God. so that they have a legitimate reason for shipping raylo because I i'm sorry but if you're saying that screw you
1: <laughs> right i have no tolerance for that kind of thing i'm sure. not going to engage in people who talk like that because it's legitimizing mm. what they're saying um and i'm not I'm not even interested in going on a crusade to convert people to Raylo. It's, yeah. it's not something I care about. If you don't ship it yourself or if you're not interested in that part of the story, that's your right. Yeah. If, you, if you're more interested in cosplaying or um, X-Wings or collecting toys, that is your right as a fan to engage in fandom however you want. But respect my right too. That's all I'm yeah. saying. People can just be civil to each other. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's all I want going forward. Uh, And I think some of the responses I saw to your Reddit post, Natasha, they did make me feel a bit more hopeful. Yeah. Because, like, I saw quite a few people responding to that saying, well, I wasn't actually thinking about this, but now you've laid it out like this. I I do actually see this as being a direction they could go of it. And these people clearly were not shippers. They were just regular fans Mm -hmm. looking on this Reddit sub. But because they saw someone, like, articulate this possibility in a reasonable and rational way, they were like, oh, yeah, I could see that and I do think that would be the majority because it's easy to lose sight of the fact that these communities that we interact with and we've had such bad experiences with they do represent only a tiny minority of like the most hardcore fans and like people who are more casual and people who post less frequently they generally will not have these hardline reviews oh definitely And and they will be way way more open to it than the people that we're having these difficulties with and it's heartening to me that to see reminders of that sometimes. Yeah,
1: I haven't talked to a lot of people in my real life, um, in quotes, about Raylo, um, mm. because most people aren't interested in shipping, as you say. But people who I have said, oh, do you think there's something interesting in their interactions? What do you think about a possible love story or Kylo falling in love with her or redeeming himself because he cares about her or something like that? People are clearly receptive to the idea as a possibility there's There's nothing like the kind of ridiculous rhetoric I see online,
0: yeah, because yeah.
1: that's not how most people think they're not really invested in the idea of Ray being a Skywalker. They don't and that's like you've said before, that's behind a lot of the um anger at the yeah. possibility of Reylo because it gets in the way of other headcanons and they want to see Luke have a daughter or they have to be a good heir to the Skywalker name, um yeah. But if you if you suggest it to people who don't have a horse in the race, it's like, yeah, I can totally see that happening. Oh, there was something mm. weird between them that I wasn't sure what to make of.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. So I I do think it's important to remain hopeful from that perspective, and it's also the thing where I I, I think this is all by design. Yeah. Because if they do go with a Ray and Kyla romance, they are going to want that to be very unexpected and shocking for people. Yep. Because that probably would be the equivalent to the I am your father reveal. Like, oh, I, I don't think it would be quite as upfront as, Ray, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it wouldn't be quite that on the nose. Um, but it would be a big shocker because obviously they have set it up so that the mainstream audience fully believe that Ray is a Skywalker. And they will probably go into episode 8 still firm in that belief because they won't be on forums, they won't be following the new canon. So they won't have, like, any sense of how the timeline has been adjusted and refined since The Force Awakens came out. So I think that although it's very frustrating for us as shippers to be, like, tr- marginalised like this and to be straight up bullied in in some circles... Um, like, is there, I think is an unfortunate side effect of this game they're playing in, in terms of trying to keep it very, very firmly under wraps.
2: Yeah, I think you can read a lot in the in the silence on things, right? Like you're not getting any hints of this from any kind of promotional materials or from you're getting some from the creator interviews that are you know definitely pushing you in that direction of like uh, John Boyega's comments on that the romance won't go the way that. You think it will go when they're talking about mm-hmm. him and Ray possibly getting together? Um, yeah, you know we have we have a lot that we're following because we're so invested, but the general audience isn't doesn't really care. They might click on an article if they're interested in it, but they're just going to go see the movie to enjoy it and go see a good story, and they're not going to react negatively to the fact that this might happen in the story. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. we are seeing a very vocal minority, but as kind of I think as we go through the sea change of people losing, losing their belief in Ray Skywalker. I think is primary to that. Um,
0: losing their religion. Yes, yeah. <laughs>
2: exactly. Um, <laughs> you'll see the discussions going that way, and I, I, I got a lot of private messages, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people going. Hey, I really, you know, we've tried to bring this up before and it's been shut down and I'm glad that you brought it up and uh, not saying I brought it up first. Again, people had been harassed for a while on the subreddit that I posted on, but that we should now kind of assert ourselves as part of the speculation. Right. We should basically, you know we've been trying to do that and we've done that on tumblr but i feel like as we continue to go on as people start to realize that this might be an element of the story you know presenting our our speculation our understanding of it in a very clear precise and you know Mm. non-inflammatory way is key to that so so I, i don't use
1: reddit but do you feel like the discussion over there is improving
2: yeah there's a couple of people that are you know they their whole lives are dedicated to being jerks on that subreddit <laughs> which is fine it's really cool you know you do you um but yeah from from the just from the responses and I've seen and, and people um you know that it, it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy there's a Luke and Leia are Ray's parents oh uh, there's one there's a, there's, a, there's a commentary thread every week on that And you don't know if the person's just straight trolling or if they're actually believing in it. It's yeah. So, I mean, it's not the best place in the world to begin with, but it's definitely starting to get a little bit more. um, You know, the people that have been advocating for this for a while on there are definitely being heard more. And I think it, it needs to be that way. You know, we need to have we need to kind of shut down this horrible ad hominem like response that continues to happen from that very vocal minority and, and continue to kind of just face them with logic and reason.
1: Yeah. I actually have hope for that um, more in places like Reddit and other Star Wars forums, as opposed to on Tumblr, because I think Rachel said earlier, um, the phenomenon of anti-shipping on Tumblr is not going to go away because that's across all fandoms. There are people Mm -hmm. who create blogs just to hate on a particular ship, which (laughs) I think is a colossal waste of time and I don't understand what
2: they're doing. Yeah.
1: Most you know. of them are teenagers
2: who have high minded ideals for the world, but only want to care about fiction, apparently. <laughs> right. They're
1: confusing that with activism, yeah. I think.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: you also find that they're like career aunties. So it's not particularly Star Wars or Raylo. You'll find that there are like general aunties where they just enjoy hating films. Oh, I have
1: seen comments from people saying, I haven't seen The Force Awakens, but I know that Raylo
2: is abusive and I hate it. <laughs> it's like, well, classic. slow clap for you. Yeah. so appreciate your commentary
1: (laughs) yeah it does come back to this idea of censoring women's fiction right that's been going on for centuries so my god yeah shouldn't be too surprised
0: right so i think we're running a bit short on time guys so do we have any concluding remarks we would like to make about shipping in (laughs) star (laughs) wars
1: Who wants to go first? Come on. Stop. I'll go. Sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, I just think that the adults involved, and I include myself in this, um, always need to remember that you never know who you're talking to on the online. Mm-hmm. You don't know the age of the person you're talking to. And I just think it's best to err on the side of caution and remember that some people are much younger. This could be their first introduction to fandom or Star Wars specifically. Um and to just recognize that this is a conscious choice by Lucasfilm to court younger female fans and there are books like Lost Stars that are they're categorized as young adult fiction um it focuses on a love story um so it's you know just keep that in mind um that younger fans aren't going to be as invested necessarily in Han Luke and Leia Finn Rey and Kylo and Poe are their new characters to be interested in so that's the perspective that we should probably learn to approach the sequel trilogy from. It's not all Luke, Luke, Luke. Um, and it's it's not Han Solo dying is obviously important to older fans because that was their hero growing up with. But mm. I've talked to younger fans, people in my family and um, kids of friends, and that death is not as crucial to them as it is for older fans. Mm. I think that's just something to keep in mind.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree with completely with what you said. Um, we need to be, if we are fans of Star Wars, including not just the sequel trilogy, but also the larger um, galaxy, obviously. Uh, then we need to be we need to be well welcoming and accepting to people that engage with fandom differently. We can't gatekeep. We can't because that's historically been a problem in a lot of the major um, fandom franchises. Um, realize that. We everybody has something to contribute. And even if it's different, um it's not something you understand. it still might be. Really important for a group of people. Um, you know, you look. You mentioned Lost Stars, and Claudia Gray has said repeatedly that she's written fan fiction, including for the X Files. You know, like that's how she kind of engaged and started out in fandom. So you have all of these people that you know have something to appreciate and enjoy about it. You should be sharing in that appreciation and joy instead of deriding them for what they actually like about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I think. I think you know we we have we've we've come along. We're we're coming a long way. Um, it, it, it seems bleak just because we've seen the worst side of it, but I really think that the the new fans will take this um, franchise to better places. So,
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think my final thought would just be I'd like to see people engage more with like the arguments that like say people from the radio community are posting, like engage with them more on an intellectual level. So engage them as arguments rather than from like this emotional or moral position, because I, I don't think it's very effective or conducive to good discussion to obsess over the real world implications of these fictitious characters and these fictitious relationships because it's like we said before like if you were to judge Star Wars on the basis of reality then no one would be rooting for vader's redemption because he greets his son by chopping his hand off (laughs) and strangles his pregnant wife (laughs) and he does all these terrible terrible things that no one would reasonably be expected to forgive him for but because it's star wars because it's myth in a fairy tale that does work and it does have meaning and power and yeah I'd just like to see more people approach the prospect of Rayla on those terms because those are the terms that shippers approach it on so yeah I think that's probably a good place to end the spotlight discussion thank you both of you that was very enjoyable and fun thank you we will hopefully have a continuation so I'm sure we have a lot more to say about this (laughs) You've probably gone for hours. Um, right, so we'll get to the next segments now. It came from Reddit. So this one's quite brief and cheerful. And it is basically someone with a very portentous username of 112416, which I think is alluding to the date that they are implying of trailer will come out for episode eight. <laughs> it's their ultimate case of wishful thinking they essentially posted a transcript again from what I believe is purporting to be a trailer for episode 8 on reddit um, the Star of Speculation subreddit to be specific and it goes like this Luke the force is strong in you but that is not enough you will be tempted the dark side is hard to resist Ray. is the dark side stronger? <laughs> Luke, easier, more seductive. Ray. but is it stronger? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs>
1: so is this person saying this is a spoiler or <laughs> that they just speculate that this could be a trailer?
0: <laughs> that was literally this, the whole post. Oh, okay. That transcript. So I think they're implying that this is some leak. Oh no way from like the actual dialogue from the episode eight trailer, okay. <laughs> um, which it, it patently is not, um, hmm. for several good reasons. Um, but yeah, I I found it fun and cute to post because it really does telegraph how desperate people are for episode eight stuff. Even though everyone should be focused on Rogue One, people are like, no, but the episode eight, give me the episode eight.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. This is sort of looks like it, maybe it was your voices but it's i feel like this is very indicative of 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 ray having a being luke and empire with yoda just confusing the hell out of her not luke (laughs) yeah
0: no i was definitely playing that up with my incredible sublime acting
2: i love it (laughs) thank you um
0: yeah no it's very much um Going back to Empire Strikes Back dialogue, and, and some of this dialogue, funnily enough, you get echoes of it in the Ray's vision, very mm-hmm. quietly, like low down, like in the mix, because there's stuff about like it's hard to resist the dark side,
1: blah blah blah, um, which is interesting. Oh um, yeah, doesn't Obi Wan say you will be tempted, you will face yes. it alone? Yeah, yeah, I
0: yeah. think he says um, you will be tempted, but you cannot resist it, or something mm-hmm. like. Um, so yeah, it's very intriguing. Yeah.
1: Um. I love the idea of Ray going dark side <laughs> or at least being really drawn to it. And then maybe coming back, but
0: yeah, no, I, I don't want to see her stay dark side, but I'm pretty sure she'd be tempted. And I'd be interested in see her go further than Luke did. Cause Luke kind of flirted a bit, but never anything serious. Yeah, it was like a friends with benefits
2: relationship. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it didn't even go that far, to be honest.
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Beginning of Return of the Jedi, Justin Black trying to do uh, mind tricks on people. Yeah, and... no,
0: exactly. Yeah, like very casual. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I have this. It's just like it's not like a central theory of mine, but I did wonder if like The Force Awakens is about Kylo's calls the light, and then eight is about ray's call to the dark mm-hmm. and then nine is them somehow learning to balance each other out oh i'd love that yeah love that a lot
0: that'd be really cool so that it definitely has to be about reaching some kind of reconciliation or balance in the end um yeah and i and i do actually quite like this um fake dialogue obviously it is fake um Mainly because they're clearly not going to advertise anything episode eight at this point because they're having a hard enough time trying to keep people focused on Rogue One as it is. So they're not going to um, shoot themselves in the foot by advertising a much more anticipated movie that's not coming out for over a year. It's just mm-hmm. it just won't happen, it'd be dumb. But <laughs> I I do quite like this. And I and I can see Ray being obsessed with like what's more powerful and stuff yeah. um because she did grow up in like such a disenfranchised powerless position so it would be natural for her to want to find a way of overcoming that especially she's still like driven by finding her family so like taking it seriously on the very very hypothetical level like I could see someone like that
1: yeah and I-, I think she's going to be very interested in learning what happened to Kylo mm. so mm. if she kind of has suspicions about what his motivations are and why he went dark side like is that something that would interest her or Mm. um is there a way to get more power by following him in that respect
0: yeah no definitely i i think it's very natural for her to be interested in what happened to him because a big part of her response to kylo in the force awakens is just confusion is like why are you this because he subverts her expectations of him so I think she will want answers. Um, like and you can tell that Leia and Ray have been talking about Kylo, um, on the resistance base in the novelization. There's clearly been discussions. Um, but I expect she's going to want to know more and Luke will be the only person who can tell her more apart from Kylo himself. Um So yeah, it will be very interesting to see how they play that. Um, right, have we said all we want to say on It Came from Reddit?
1: Mm-hmm. I have.
0: Okay, cool. Then we will move on to our final segment, which is questions. Um, if you have any questions for us, please send them to scavengershoard at gmail.com No apostrophe because the email addresses <laughs> don't like apostrophes. Um, and I think I'd probably just better issue a blanket spoiler warning for the whole questions segment because virtually all of our questions this time just touch upon spoilery things. So I'd hate to like, inadvertently give a piece of information that you would rather not hear. So if you're not interested in spoilers, basically shut off now. Bye bye. Lots of love. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so the first question is from Secura one two one on Tumblr. So my question is, from your perspectives, what types of revelations or scenarios are possible concerning the massacre? And how important is it in the first place, especially concerning Kylo and Ray? As we know now that Ray was definitely not trained by Luke. So, what do you think,
1: Kirsty? Uh, well, I don't think it's going to go down the way that um, Anakin's massacre of the younglings did. Mm. I think they are playing on people's expectations there because mm. they've they've left it so shrouded in mystery that you're you're then filling in the gaps yourself, and they're using all of these kind of mysterious words like "destroyed" as opposed yeah. to "killed" someone. Um, so. Ugh. I don't know, it might be that um, Kylo somehow betrayed them and gave information as to their whereabouts and stuff like that, Mm. but was not directly responsible for killing anyone himself. Yeah. But it's so hard to
2: know, because we're not supposed to know right now. What do you guys think? I really think, you know, there's two things. One, we know that Snoke was watching Kylo for a long time, or sorry, Ben, for a long time. And I feel like he's probably dealing with some kind of betrayal of trust of course with Luke um but also guilt around um you know kind of maybe leading Snoke or, or someone else or, you know knights of run force Colts, whatever um if, to the academy or where, whatever uh, Luke had established mm. and we did get speculation involving the continuation of the force back uh vision for episode eight where we're going to see bodies um so people did die, but I really don't think that uh Kylo was responsible directly for that.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, there's something
0: interesting I noticed in um The Galactic Atlas, which is a new like authorized story group approved publication. Um, and basically this is something that we had preview pages of a few months ago, and there's an allusion there to what happened with Luke's Jedi. And it's very interesting because the writer about that has changed. Um, So between those preview pages and what we have now. So in the preview pages it said his Jedi training with Luke Skywalker ended in tragedy when seduced by the dark side, he and his Knights of Ren slew his fellow students. And then in the final published version, it's been changed to his Jedi training with Luke Skywalker ended in tragedy when, seduced by the dark side, he betrayed the other students and was responsible for their destruction. Hmm. So I think that's a very interesting shift because yeah. like, it does two key things. It removes slew, so it explicitly removes any reference to the fellow students dying. And it also removes any reference to Knights of Ren. And I think that's very interesting. It suggests to me that perhaps the early version was written by someone who wasn't in the know about what actually happened. So they formed assumptions based on what they saw in The Force Awakens. And then when it was actually passed by the story group, they were like, "Ah, ah, ah, no, 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 this is wrong. Mm. We need to go and revise this. That's great. Actually yeah
1: And for the second part of the question, in terms of how important it's going to be for Kylo and Ray, mm. um, based on those spoilers about the flashbacks or force visions or whatever you want to call them in episode eight, it's gonna be Ray seeing it again, right? It's gonna be mm. a continuation of the vision that she already had in The Force Awakens. So it's about something that Luke himself might not necessarily be able to tell her the full story on. Yeah. So I don't know I don't know if he was there at the time or if he arrived after everything had happened, based on him kind of touching R2D two. Mm-hmm. Um, when everything was already destroyed um so there's this idea that only Rey would have uncovered the truth so it's only her and Kylo that know the full story at that point mm-hmm. and it changes it changes her perspective on him somehow because otherwise it would seem redundant right yes. if it's well, if all it's going to show us is that he's a mass murderer <laughs> she already thinks that he's a monster yeah. so it has to have some kind of narrative twist to it
0: yeah no 100% yeah. like it would need to revise her perspective on what went down
1: Yeah, so if there's something that only she and Kylo know the full story on, then she can can maybe confront him and say, I know what really happened. Mm. I know know that you were betrayed or taken advantage of or whatever it is that that then stops him in his tracks and makes him think differently of her and um, further intensifies the connection between them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But That's just me
2: speculating. (laughs) That's great speculation. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Now I
0: can definitely see that. Um, Right, we finished discussing that one? Yeah. Okay, cool. Then the next question is from an anonymous listener, and it is, what are your guys' thoughts on the early MSW rumoured subplot of Leia, Poe, and Laura Dern, where Laura Dern is a surviving Republic senator or general who has conflict with Poe during Leia's injuries? Will Dern be a shadow archetype of Leia or Poe? Do you think there will be a mini Resistance civil war, Leia followers versus Dern followers? Is this too much for episode eight to handle? Um, I think this question came in before we had the new spoiler about Laura Dern in episode eight, so I do think that changes how you have to approach a question like this. Um, but yeah, what what did you think about this one, Natasha?
2: Oh, I I, I think the the whole mini resistance civil war is is fairly interesting. I know that we did get um some information regarding that, uh that Leia will be injured, Poe will take over, Laura Dern will be um her character will be trying to impede him from continuing his the command. And I think one of the movies that Ryan Johnson one of the military movies, did you guys watch any of those? Um, is actually kind of about that like mm-hmm. struggle for command in a oh, desperate yeah. situation.
0: Yeah, that was twelve o'clock high I think. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I've heard yep. he I've heard about it. He's mentioned it as the one that's most relevant to episode 8 so it's one I definitely have to watch
2: and you kind of wonder I mean there was some speculation around Leia's injuries kind of being a way to put Poe in her place Mm. does that have you heard that as well which is kind of troubling um, because I'd be more interested in seeing um, Leia face off with uh, Laura Dern's character and kind of have that struggle between two women over command of the the resistance Mm.
1: yeah but they then they also do need to bring in this new hero as well. It's probably yeah. a difficult yeah. balancing act. As for whether it's too much for episode eight to handle, I actually think it's really important for them to introduce more of the politics because mm. we got nothing of that in the Force Awakens. Yeah, like you know, yeah. you, it's by design, but you know very little about the First Order and what they're actually trying to do beyond just emulating the Empire. But is it different? Um, I don't think that the casual audience even understood what Hosnian Prime was, or what the difference between the Republic and the Resistance was. Yeah, or that the Resistance was like an illegal offshoot of their military; <laughs> it's not legit. And I'm th- that might be this this kind of um, conflict that Laura Dern mm-hmm. brings to it, that says, "Hey, you guys aren't actually um, you're you're not acting legally." Yeah. So it's this interesting idea of turning it on its head, and the good guys being terrorists themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no it's really interesting. Like I say I I definitely agree it's really important that they explore the politics more because like so many people were confused on that point. And I know that people didn't like the politics in the prequels. <laughs> but like in a story of this type where it is happening on such a grand scale, it is important to understand like how the government works and like how these different organizations are interconnected and what their dynamics are. Um, So I expect we're going to see that reflected through this Laura Dunn character and Leia forward slash Poe. Yeah. And I think that's the best way to do it because it's easy for these kinds of aspects to get a bit boring with like long discussions and boardrooms and stuff. But if they actually have characters embody these different sides of the conflict, then I think that's a more approachable and interesting way to handle it.
1: Yeah. And politics definitely doesn't equal boring. Yeah. It yeah. depends on how it's executed. I loved Bloodline. It was so interesting to get mm. that backstory and yeah. how the Resistance kind of was formed out of necessity. That mm. they they kind of did have history repeating itself with the idea of the Centrists and um, the First Order just kind of very slowly being built up in the background with with people preferring to ignore that it was happening. Mm. Yeah. So it'd be cool to get part of that in Episode Eight. But I also do appreciate that there's a lot. There's going to be a lot going on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm I'm really excited to know what Ryan's Johnson's influence on Bloodline was, Mm -hmm. um, because of the fact that he did include some stuff. The napkin incident. I won't. It's not a spoiler if you don't know what it is. (laughs) If you've ever read the book, Um, I feel like politics is definitely central to Star Wars, and people do rag on the prequels quite a bit for that. But we did have a disservice in not really knowing the 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 weight of the Hosnian system being destroyed it's it's almost criminal that they didn't give any kind of uh, emotional impact to that by yeah. um, cutting out the, those parts of the um, of the script so
0: yeah so at least yeah. with like Alderaan in the original trilogy we cared about that because Leia cared and yeah. we were in her position, like right there, as it was being blown up in front of her. So that made that emotional. But as it is in Force Awakens, they just cut to that crowd on the balcony, and you're like, "Who are these randoms?"
1: <laughs> well, I I wondered if um, Kylo, you know, he he's stood on the Star Destroyer as as the it's being like fired towards the system. Yeah, and I wondered if that was supposed to be a parallel, and I wasn't sure if that meant that he'd grown up
2: there for a time mm. while Leia was working in the
1: Senate. What do you guys think?
2: Oh, I think so. I think it was his Alderaan moment, basically. And you know, as a Force sensitive, he would have felt that level of destruction just like everyone else would have. Um, oh, any other Force sensitive would. Yeah. So I feel like that it, it's he's not. And we see textually, he doesn't support the destruction of the Hosnian system. So yeah, it very much feels like that was supposed to have a lot of more emotional impact. Um,
1: yeah, I'm just a sucker for anything that connects Kylo to his mum. <laughs> Same. I need more yeah. of that. Me too.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely a good thing. Um, right, we ready for our last question? Yeah. Okay, cool. Right, the third is from an anonymous user on Tumblr. And this one goes, Hi there, wanted you ladies to know you are my number one choice in Star Wars Podcast by a long shot. Thank you. oh. Aww. <laughs> So no believer in Raylo. Have my question doubles as a theory and it pertains to your comments that Rey having bested a wounded and emotionally bent Kylo leaves an interesting arc for their next confrontation. What if Rey, who has limited experience counting on others, is spared by Kylo, thus confusing her em- emotionally, morally, bringing it full circle, equals Reylo slash redemption? <laughs> so what do we think, guys?
1: I think that something like this could go down. Mm. Um, so we've had spoilers about um, Kylo coming to Act 2 in episode 8 and him kind of pursuing Rey while telling the Knights of Ren to go after Luke and we we don't know how solid these spoilers are because the source making Star Wars have walked back um, they haven't walked back these details but they've kind of been tiptoeing back from other details that kind Mm. of throw it possibly into question but Mm. we'll see I guess Um, but the idea of him going after Rey wanting his revenge I feel like there has to be something that changes uh what happens there there has to be a, a, a kind of twist and i wonder if that's something that would then play into the idea of ray having these further visions that change her perception of him and she shouts something out in the fight that then causes him to stop
2: mm. yeah. um
1: and decides not to fight her in some way yeah or they take him prisoner somehow or um yeah he he decides that he actually doesn't want what he thought he was coming for
0: yeah no yeah. it would be really interesting to that confrontation with Rey for Kylo is going to be another like Han Solo bridge moment because Mm. like Han Solo bridge moment was about Kylo being forced to confront this aspect of the light within himself, this aspect of his past and being tasked with destroying that. And he succeeded on that occasion. But as we know from the commentary, he felt awful about it. And I, I do think that also comes across on the screen, but is explicit in the commentary. Um, And yeah, so I think in episode eight, he's most likely going to be in a situation where he's confronted with Rey and she is this embodiment of the light, like to him. She is like his opposite and she compliments him. Um, And he finds her fascinating as well as perceiving her as an enemy. So I could definitely see it going in the way the where like he is there to kill her, like and take his revenge. But then when he actually sees her again and like say she could say something that causes him to do a double take, then I, I don't think he's gonna succeed in carrying his mission out. So I think everyone expects Kylo to go there and like beat Ray up, you know, like to like redeem his character in the eyes of the fan base because he got beaten by a girl in the Force Awakens. And I'm not sure that's going to happen, or at least it's not going to happen so straightforwardly. I think they could have him put Rey in a situation where he could easily end her. So she's in a situation of extreme peril, but then something happens for him to not quite go through with it, to like stop at the last moment, which is what he didn't do with Han. And yeah, I, I think that would potentially be really interesting. How about you, Natasha?
2: Yeah, I agree completely. And I think just in terms of the staging of the spoilers that we've heard about, the Knights of Ren fighting Luke and uh, you know Kylo basically getting Rey on her own to confront her is it speaks to the intimacy of their confrontations. And um, I do think you're going to see where that this is the twist. This is what people aren't expecting. Um, and it, and it's definitely setting it up so that. After that, they'll have significant amount of time together, not just before. And I think, too, if, if if the Knights of Ren are all eliminated or, you know, dispatched from the fight, you know, Kylo doesn't have an audience the way he did on Starkiller Base. He doesn't have, you know, Snoke breathing down his neck here. You know, I, he, he might. We don't really know what their connection is, but it, it basically creates much more of an opportunity for him to act outside of the expectations.
1: Yeah. It speaks to a change in Kylo's priorities as well, doesn't it? Because for yeah. the the whole of the Force Awakens, he's obsessed with finding this map to Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. and now he gets to Act Two and is finally in the presence of Luke Skywalker again, <laughs> but goes after Rey. <laughs> yeah.
0: Episode Eight, Kylo discovers girls.
1: Right. Essentially. <laughs> Second like, date. <laughs> you know, he he's been looking for his uncle for what's presumably years, and he's there. And Luke is in on, on Act Two for a specific reason right like there's yeah. the first jedi temple there um that might have been what kylo was interested in finding him for that there's some kind of secret there or power that they both wanted to get for different yeah. reasons um but it's ray that he goes after because they are the central dynamic now
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah no that's a really good point and like say it just go is further proof how central that dynamic is it's not going to be a film about kylo and luke confronting each other it's about Rey and Kylo confronting each other. And mm. yeah, that it, it could not drum at home more clearly that this is the central relationship that you're meant to be following and invested in. Unless you think that the Knights of Ren are actually the main big bad. <laughs> and that Luke is going to become the hero and that Kylo and Rey are just some kind of weird subplot. I'm sure some people would like that to be the case, but it's not going to happen. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um. Right, are we all done? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay, awesome. Well, this is quite a meaty show, <laughs> to put it mildly. But I yeah. feel like we've all said really great things. And it's been fantastic to have you on, Natasha. You'll have to come back. It was really, really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, yes. I had a good
1: time. Thank you thank you for coming on. Your ideas have been great.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it's been great. Fantastic to have another voice. Like, it just really enriches the discussion. That makes it much more dynamic. So it's great. Um, right. So I am rachel and you can find me at star wars nonsense on tumblr and journal of the star wars on
1: wordpress kirsty i'm Bastila bay on tumblr and scavengers horde
2: on twitter and natasha i am ashes for foxes on tumblr and across the gray on reddit you should definitely check out natasha's red post which i will link
1: yeah we linked to it on last week's post right mm.
0: Yeah, but I will link to it again because it's that good. (laughs) Um, And one thing I would also like to say is now that we are on iTunes, you'd be a massive favour to us if you could just leave us a review or a rating because that really helps to increase exposure for the podcast and get more people listening. So if you want to help us out, that's an amazing way and you will be eternally in our thanks. So we hope you've enjoyed listening and until next time, bye.
2: Bye. Bye.